This is Lightning, reporting live from the NPR studios in Santa Monica, no. California. No. No? no? no. No? You don't like that? Why? Why would we ever aspire to be NPR? <laughs> I listen to the news every morning, yeah. and it drives me crazy because most newscasters are animated like us. Uh-huh. Not NPR. They speak very close to the microphone, mm-hmm. and they speak with... Uh, earnest intent. How would they report that I tried to destroy my Jeep over the uh, past week in uh, Arizona? Holman, co-host of the Truck Show podcast, did something, well, that not every Jeeper aspires to do. This is horrible. (laughs) Well, you just brought down our show. Where's Alice when you need her to give you a, a lashing? Lightning. What is wrong with you? Uh, I listen to too much NPR. Yeah, Why? that's what's wrong with me. Just don't listen to NPR. Uh, because I've been mind. driving our dually for work, and it's got a freaking old school AM FM radio and no way to plug in my iPhone to it. I mean, yes, I could put on my ear pods, but I choose not to. So I listen to 89.9 KCRW NPR wow. for Southern you California. you stop doing that? Like, <laughs> makes the hair on my neck stand up. Uh-huh, in a bad way. So I went uh, to Arizona last week uh, with my friends over at Center Force, and we uh, it was pretty cool. We did the uh, all-manual transmission overland run, and uh, full-on, you know, overland style, rooftop tents, all now that wait, stuff. Now p- wait, pause for a second. Yeah. You, just, you just throw that out there like it's no big deal, just hanging out with the guys from Center Force. I know you're tight with them, but did they yeah. call you? Did you yeah. call? Oh, they did. No, they. Uh, it's uh, if you want to check it out, uh, it's hashtag CFAdventure21. And we had uh, about 10 uh, manual transmission enthusiasts. We had an uh, old XJ, some JKs, some uh, JLs, uh, to, uh, Toyota Tacoma. You weren't the only JL with a manual trans? Everybody had manuals, except for two vehicles. But you, everybody it, else admittedly, did. it's not popular, right? I mean, the manual transmission. Uh, I will tell you that there was a 9 to 1 ratio of popularity for <laughs> manual <laughs> at, transmissions at that on this, yeah. uh, on this yeah, run. Of course, yeah. but, but overall, what is the percentage that of manuals to automatics that Jeep sells? In my world? No, not in your world. Like, <laughs> realistically, what is, they, is it? They honestly have one of the highest take rates in all of our But is it 100 to 1? I bet it's uh, 30%. Maybe maybe 25. No. It's really no. high. Really? Yeah, highest in the industry. I almost guarantee you it's the highest in okay, the industry. Okay, I'm going to say it's 1 in 100. No, it's not. Really? It's, it's not 10%, or it's not 1%. Okay. No, it's mm. literally in the double digits of percentages. I could... Do you want me to dial a friend? I do. Yeah, okay. I do want you to dial someone who would be in the know. Let's dial someone. <laughs> I won't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. With you. Sorry, just uh, I'm going to uh, hit up my friend uh, Scott Bloom at Jeep and see if he's uh, still awake right now. There in Michigan. Uh, yes, Holman frantically texting over here. You guys can't see it because he's turned his little off his sound effects. All right. So does that drive you crazy? By the way, when people are texting and they and they have the sound effect on or the keyboard, it's like. All right, so a uh, text has been sent. I guarantee you it's in the double digits. Okay. He's the guy that would know since he is a uh, product planner. Tell me about the uh, your adventure. Where were you awesome. beating your JL? Uh, so we met in Peoria and ended up uh, by Prescott, and uh, we went on a road called the, uh, the Back Way to Crown King and ended up in uh, Crown King, which is an old, I guess, mining town up there, and uh, some pretty hardcore trails. Like I thought we were going overlanding, and we ended up doing like pretty intense rock crawling, and uh, definitely uh, got stuck once and uh, drugged the whole underbody of the jeep and had to yank myself off with the uh, winch line and all that kind of good stuff. And I saw uh, your Instagram, and you had some bashed bars underneath. Oh the, yeah, uh, I, one I, of the cross members looked crushed. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> uh, jeep did great. 
blower. The good part great. is your Jeep is like 20 years old, so it's no big deal. Right. If you just beat. Oh wait, it's sure. a 2020. Yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> I think I've had what nine months now. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. But I uh, ripped a valve stem off a wheel, which is like one of those things that in off roading you hear about people doing as if it were some sort of like like you know l- legendary thing like. Oh, back in my day, we used to rip valve stems out of the way. I'm like, whatever. I've never done it. And uh, I did it. I uh, augered. But they're rubber. And yeah. they bend. No, inside the rubber is metal. <laughs> ah. And I actually uh, uh, pretty much um, ground down the face of the wheel, got to the valve stem, and then ground that down. <laughs> so, uh, oh, no. Yeah. What did it sound like? Uh, it didn't sound like anything. It was, you know, it was fine. You didn't hear that awful aluminum uh, against rock sound? Not when the steel against rock was making so much noise from the skid plate. I see. I see. So uh, It was fun, though. I uh, But I walked away. I'm going to need uh, some new skid plates. Uh, I'm going to... Probably need a new set of wheels, uh-huh. and uh, that's it. Actually, did all right. Okay, all right. Well, I, I am curious though how the Edelbrock supercharger did. Yeah, because this is your first time actually. Well, you did some wheeling up in uh, Moab, Moab. Yeah, but I've this got, not rock crawling though. Got, oh this yeah, is, for sure, rock crawling. Oh, Moab. you were? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Took one of the one of the more difficult trails out there. Did all of uh, Poison Spider Mesa into uh, Gold Bar Rim and did uh, the uh, Golden Crack. And no, it's, it's all I've seen that stuff. movie. That's uh, no, I don't diff- advise it. Yeah. Different. And uh, if you go to at uh, Adventure Jeep, you can see uh, ADV Jeep. You can see a bunch of the videos and stuff. But there's one one place, and I posted from Arizona a video too, where I'm just hauling butt through this just wide open Arizona on a two track, and I'm doing like 50 miles an hour rooftop tent overloaded. I mean, I can just play it. It sounds kind of cool. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Can you can you play it? Yeah. yeah. Because let's be frank, even if a supercharger is not adding power, you think it's adding power because of the uh, the sound. Yeah, except that this thing is so quiet, the only way I could get sound out of it was to... Um, out of your snorkel? Yeah, I had to lower the passenger window, and then the snorkel kind of made the sound come into the cabin. Otherwise, you literally can't hear what it. What about so when you're going through like a rock crevice and you had uh-huh. some echo off the, the really. rock, the sidewall? No, really. Just, uh, just take a listen. Very slightly. Oh, I hear that. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Just a little bit Just of wine. Yeah. It's, almost, it's almost like it's a little bit cute, you know? Um, so, so <laughs> oh, far, that's so cute, Holman. The, the blower's doing okay. Uh, I've been hand-calculating mileage. Uh, I'm guessing I'm probably... Anywhere between one and a half uh, to half mile per gallon less. Uh, I think my best tank was just a little bit over 15. That was without the rooftop tent. Turns out when you add wind in the rooftop tent, gone. <laughs> like, gone. It's like, whoa, because the, you know, the, the blower is boosting and all that. Um, it Off-road is really good. Uh, there's even places in Moab where we were climbing up stuff where I was in maybe one gear too high, like third or even second when I wanted to be in first, and the blower just gives you that extra push or we're coming up these fins. It's like, that's the torque. Yeah, and the torque. Uh, the torque definitely comes in around, I'd say, you know, 2,500 is where you can actually feel it, maybe a little bit lower. Um, definitely just off of idle after you release it, so maybe in the upper thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, way more drivable. Uh, on the freeway, it's super mellow. Definitely if you're boosting, it likes likes gas, likes to suck that premium down. Right. If you're being mellow with it, it seems to be okay. And you've been feeding it 92? 91. 91. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I can't. It's, all, it's pretty much all you can find at any gas station here. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I've had uh, I had a couple little spots of uh, surging that I think is coming from the the bypass valve on it. Mm-hmm. So we'll adjust the jet there that lives in the vacuum hose, and hopefully that fixes that. But it's been it's been really good. Um, we dynoed it. I'm not ready to reveal the dyno numbers uh, because I'm working with Edelbrock. Mine is obviously different because I've got 37s. I've got a heavy flywheel. I've got gears. I've got a snorkel. I've got a lot of stuff going on. So I want to make got a sure. lot of baggage. As I do they have say. a lot of baggage, but the whole point wasn't to make a huge number. The whole point was to make the heavier, less efficient Jeep more drivable, and it definitely does that. Like I'm not going to go out racing Camaros, but. I don't also By the feel way, like I you're have... lying. You will race a Camaro. <laughs> no, I know you. I don't think so. Not, I, don't not lie. in this. I've been with you. I'll wait till I get my uh, Bilstein 8100s on there. And Those then you'll coming. race a Camaro? Then, then I'll absolutely race <laughs> Without them. the rooftop tent. It'll be like the time you and I almost got pulled over by the CHP, uh-huh. except we pulled off into the desert, and the <laughs> CHP waited on the side of the highway and watched us go off into the desert. They did not expect us to just keep <laughs> driving into the desert. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. That's actually a true story for those of you who are, are new to our... Uh, Lightning and I were once driving up Highway 395. In uh, the middle of... Uh, nowhere. In the middle no, of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah, on the way to Central California, basically. And uh, we were going 80, probably, in uh, 65-ish. And the CHP officer was coming the other direction and made a U-turn behind us because his radar must have gotten us coming fast. And as he made his U-turn, I made a right turn off into a desert right road. In, right into the dirt. And we just kept going <laughs> at like 50, 60 miles an hour in the dirt. And the CHP stopped on the highway and just looked over his right shoulder and watched our dust cloud disappear. And I'm like, yep, he's still there. We could see his mirrored <laughs> sunglasses looking through the window. Or like They just kept getting smaller uh, and smaller and smaller. That's pretty funny. He's like, nah, let those knuckleheads uh, go. Yeah, he wasn't going to chase us in a charger off right. into uh, the middle of the <laughs> desert. <laughs> Episode number 172, we've got Know Your Note truck news. And then Mr. Reeves Calloway. Hey, uh, I just got a uh, text back here with those Wrangler manual transmission specs. Okay. Uh, Two-door? Yeah. 15%. Really? That's pretty strong. 15% are manual. Yeah. That was not expected. Uh, There you go. All right. Hmm. Okay, so congrats on your stats. Can we talk about Mr. Reeves Calloway? Uh, Is that Calloway golf, wines, or cars? All of them. What? (laughs) Yes, all of them. But the one that we care about today is the new Silverado that's putting down 650 horse? I mean, that sounds pretty strong. Yes, it is. You guys probably know Callaway best from his long list of Corvette uh, achievements. Yeah, they did a bunch of other kind of weird uh, cars in the past that maybe you wouldn't expect them to have done, so I think we'll dive down into that. But um, I'm pretty excited because uh, he's another guy who has been in the industry a long time, has had a lot of success, and it'll be interesting to talk to him about his start and where the company is today and how he got there. His bio is, uh, it reads like uh, the Bible. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, like Bicentennial. Did you ever, my dad read the book Bicentennial. It was like a series of like 25 books, maybe 100 Uh books. And I'm like, it it took an entire shelf at our house. Bicentennial. It's like a shelf. What is that like for bedtime where he's reading it to you on on his lap? Did he like couldn't couldn't get up? No. Well, I couldn't even, no. He's like, I've got, I I would be knocked out before he even came in the room if I knew he was carrying the Bicentennial (laughs) edition to my bedroom. Did it have leather straps that went around his arms like a backpack? (laughs) Could have, yes. You know, one thing that will actually haul all the Bicentennial books around with ease? Yeah. A Nissan Titan. 
Those are heavy-ass books. Do you books. think anybody who's listening to this show thought there would be an obscure bicentennial <laughs> book reference that would now be the uh, the through line? No, you could. You guys could not have seen that coming. Uh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> did you see that coming? No, I did not. All right, well, if you're in the market for a new uh, half-ton truck or half-ton plus, you want to go down to your local Nissan dealer or head over to NissanUSA.com where you can check out the Titan or the Titan XD. Both have the most standard V8 horsepower in their class and the industry's best five-year 100,000-mile warranty. If the Titan's a little bit too much truck, you can also check out the Nissan Frontier. And while you're perusing those trucks online, be sure to build and price. The other place you can uh, build and price for your uh, next project is over at DuralastParts.com, where you're going to find a lineup of over 20 part categories, and especially their Duralast chassis parts, which meet or exceed the OE performance and are put through rigorous stress testing to ensure they're durable enough to withstand even the most extreme environmental conditions. Duralast gold ball joints for trucks and SUVs are built better than OE for the most demanding trucks and SUVs in severe use. Will they take the abuse of a bed full of bicentennial books? Uh, I think that after you have a bed full of bicentennial books, you'll want to go down to your local auto zone and replace some parts. What, what do you think a bed load of bicentennial books weighs? Depends how many editions. I don't know anything about bicentennial. I don't know why you're bringing that up. I, it's an obscure reference that I'm enjoying talking about. I want to go back to uh, sweet tea in this uh, episode. <laughs> no, it's not. Why, why it won't freeze. All right, listen. We need to talk about our new sponsor, Borla. All right, I want to uh, play this clip for you, mm-hmm. and I want you to guess... What it is. Sounds good. Stand by. Wow, yeah, that sounds great. My heart's pumping. Sounds good. I know, right? Oh, like I feel, I feel like on my my insides, yeah, a little shaky right now after that. That is, a, it's naturally aspirated. I heard a little uh, <laughs> sucking action on okay. the carburetor there, so I'm thinking it's older. Uh, All right, well, I, hold it. Oh, I can't, I can't guess no, right now. We're gonna do it later and know your note. Okay. Hmm. I think I think I think this one's gonna be fun. Okay, so if you're looking for a new exhaust for your truck, head over to Borla.com, where Borla exhausts are proudly made in the USA out of T three oh four stainless steel with a no drone guarantee and are warranted for a million miles. That's right. Borla has mastered polyphonic sound and they're available for all popular trucks. All right, on that note. Ah, see what you did yeah, there? You like that? Let's, Let's start, start the, the show. show. The truck show. We're gonna show you what we know. We're gonna. Ask- I feel like we're we're off to a corny start. What do you think? Uh, have you heard the show? <laughs> the truck show. We're gonna show you what we know. We're gonna answer what the truck. Cause truck rides with. Truck show. We have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. That's me! Yeah, it is. That's us. No, that's me. I'm that guy. I'm the first guy. You're the first guy. Yeah. Man, we got a uh, an action-packed show here. So, uh, I don't know, do you want to get straight into uh, Mr. Reeves Calloway? I would love to. I was on his bio and uh, like I said before, it's it's lengthy and storied. It is storied. 
Do you think he will answer when we call him? Uh Uh-uh. Has he heard the podcast before? I hope not. Who set this up? Was it his PR person? Will he be stunned? I think that he will be stunned and they will be fired. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's give him a call and find out uh, just how much he knows about us. Hello. Hello, Mr. Reeves Calloway, Lightning and Holman Truck Show Podcast. How you doing? Hello, sir. Good evening, men. <laughs> How you doing? Hey, uh, <laughs> we have we, it's kind of like our little ceremony here. We have to play an intro now. This particular one is appropriate for you, but it's a lim- little immature, so I, I have to apologize in advance. But you may enjoy it. Hold on one second. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? What does it take to be an entrepreneur? With your job and get alone. So this is what it takes to be on an entrepreneur. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't uh, too horrible for you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, you have quite the history of entrepreneurship, and we thought that, uh, you know, I, I guess the current product offering is what uh, what stoked our fire for uh, for getting you on. But then we started reading into your history and went, oh, that was him too? Oh, and that? Oh, and that? So, uh I think we're pretty excited to talk to you. It's just uh, you've got quite an impressive history, and and you're still moving forward at the speed of sound. Uh, so I, I think what got us most entertained uh, to talk to you uh, just recently was the Silverado that you released with a, a, a whopping 602 horsepower, 560 pound-feet of torque. And they were like, wait a minute. It, we, need, we have so much more to talk to Reeves about. So that brought us to uh, calling you, and I, I wanted to, Reeves... If we can, before we get into the trucks, because we've got a lot of truck talk to to do, can we rewind the clock back to your 1970s days where you turbocharging BMWs? Like, and then how did that lead into vets? And then how did that lead into making trucks bats out of hell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, that that is a good way to start because uh, I I think especially for newer listeners, uh, they probably... Um, don't have uh, that as a frame of reference. And uh, w- one of the great things about getting to be this age, you know, I'm, I'm 73 years old, is that there's a lot of water under the bridge. Um, and it, it's always good to take a few steps backwards and say, look, here's somebody who is working in the back of their house in the woods of Connecticut and has wound up... Uh, with a series of companies that do things that most people who work on cars uh, really like to do. You know, this is this has been a great uh, uh, process of uh, doing a hundred different productive, interesting products. And and I'd like to uh, I'd like to take just a minute and refer to some of those so that the listeners understand. It's important for our younger listeners and our newer listeners to understand that. You know, there are a lot of companies out there that make bolt-on aftermarket performance parts. And there's questionable R&D in a lot of these things. And and what happens, though, is that you can be painted, Callaway can be painted with the same brush as these fly-by-night companies if you don't know the Callaway history and the pedigree. So let's let's well, speak to that, well, I think. And I was going to say, just uh, from my... Uh, I'm in my mid-40s, so growing up reading all the car magazines before I became a, a, a car guy, I'll never forget the C4 Callaway Corvette Sledgehammer. 
And that thing was so cool, all the holes and vents and just mean looking. And uh, and then you followed up with the C12, which was, a, of course, based on the uh, the C5 body style. And that was the first time I ever saw a, a rebodied, re-engineered Corvette that I liked, where it was like, that is so different and so cool. And, and that's basically how Callaway enters my frame of mind as, a, as an automotive enthusiast. Well, thank you. Thank you for that commentary, because you're obviously a man of great taste. (laughs) (laughs) If you only knew. Well, at least uh, there's one of us. (laughs) Well, look, start anywhere you'd like. Uh, I'll I'll happily go through some of the, the, uh, the highlights and the steps of going from, you know, working in the back of your house to uh, running, you know, somewhat of a industrial company. That seems like a pretty uh, good story right well, there. Well, let's right? go. Okay. <laughs> go back in time here with our harp. Now, okay, when you say that, a lot of times guys will just say that you're, oh, no, he's he's always been wealthy. He's always been smart. He's always been an engineer. And that's not true. You were a young man at one point, and you had a dream. You were an art student. Is that correct? And Yeah, I um, exactly. That's, that's a good point of clarification to start with. You know, my... Uh, enthusiasm for automobiles was as a builder, as a a welder, fabricator, uh, constructor, uh, and I was not an engineer. I'm not an engineer today. I I work with a lot of engineers around the world, but I'm still the the guy who loves building stuff more than anything else. Uh, Self-taught engineer, art student in school, only because that was the only way I could get through a difficult Uh, curriculum. Um, (laughs) uh, Not a brilliant student. Uh, That just allows me to say to anybody who's observing, um, you can certainly get to where you want to get to through just an exercise of passion. Uh, Because you're smart enough to learn all this stuff. Cars are not all that difficult. Engineering is not all that difficult. Just put your mind to it, sit down, build stuff, learn what's wrong with it, fix it, and get on with life. God, I love how simple it sounds as you distill that down. And as uh, as our listeners will know, we're big fans of blue collar and vocational education. And uh, it's great if you want to go to college and continue your career. But there's so much to be learned by hands-on and self-teaching. We've had so many successful people on the show who who don't have you know master's degrees in uh, in whatever, and they went and either are self-taught, uh, worked for somebody who really knew what they're doing. Or went through vocational school, and it just shows that there's lots of different paths in life to be successful. There's not one script that everybody has to follow. And to hear you say that and distill it down, I think, is inspiring to a lot of people who feel like, you know, maybe the college route isn't where they're best served. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I say that to to all of the folks who are listening. Uh, you know, I get a lot of letters. How can I start an organization like yours how can i do what you do and um, the the thing that i i like to point out is that uh, if you do the best possible job that you can it will show and the the best the best uh, evidence of that uh, as long as you combine it with a little bit of good luck is uh, the career path that uh, callaway cars has taken through it's uh, it's various projects. I don't know whether you got a chance to see the uh, the history of the C projects. But- yeah, I mean it, it it's a long list of projects, but I I want to take it back to where you made that transition 
as a as a young man where you when you decided it could be a business as opposed to just a hobby so uh imagine yourself as a 20 year old kid whose uh, objective is to become world champion uh i was hell-bent to learn what it took to become a race car driver and in retrospect there's only one thing that that will guarantee that you do you'll either die trying or you go dead broke yeah that, what, what do they say the, how do you make a million dollars racing you start, you start with, two with two million, million yeah. yeah exactly that's right well you know one of the uh, the the falsehoods is that there's always been wealth in the callaway name that is not true uh that became true later in life you know, with Callaway Golf and Callaway Vineyards and Winery and all of those uh, uh, family businesses. But none of that wealth ever trickled down to uh, Reeves, who was working in the garage building car. I hope hope Reeves has found some of that in the backyard at some point, though. You know, this is the world's hardest business to make money at. Sure. Um, You know, if you're consumed with doing a really good job, um, my flaw is that I've always taken all of the money that we've made and reinvested it in the company. Like a real businessman. Well, look, I mean, we'll, I hope we get into there's three generations of superchargers, which I'm dying to talk to talk to him about how sure. they engineered the Gen 3 with its intercooling and blah, blah, blah. But uh, that is so expensive and time consuming. Well, I guess I, we'll get there okay. in a minute. I, I want to go back to the C cars, uh, especially, again, the C4 Corvette was to me the first time with the just I don't know how taking a Corvette and putting four nostrils in the leading edge of the hood and some vents looks so mean and badass but it does I remember opening I think a car and driver at the time and I was like whoa what is that thing and I I think you were one of the original uh people that required a mobile one synthetics back in the day too if I if I remember correctly it was sort of a big deal as mobile ones and synthetics were coming, your cars had those. Um, so I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about one very important thing, and that's on the C4 Corvette. For people who are Corvette people, you'll know that it had the digital instrument cluster. And like most cars in the early 80s, that digital instrument cluster stopped at 85 miles per hour. And I want to know how Callaway, <laughs> if, they, if you did anything, because I'm assuming that car went faster than 85 miles an hour. Well, okay, we can cover all of those bases, but let me back, <laughs> let, let me back up to, um, you know, how did Callaway and Corvette become associated to begin with? So do you remember the popularity of top speed testing in car magazines? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we, uh, our good friend Gail Banks was on uh, Mrs. Horcutt's uh, driveway. Horcutt's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yep. And, and, uh, that was one of the few ways that you could sort of uh, separate yourself from the rest of the crowd was go in to to do well or to maybe even win one of those events with either uh, car and driver or any of the other people who valued this uh, indication of capability which was top speed so here we were building a, a version of the alfa romeo for alfa romeo north america they had approached us, uh, and, and don't forget when I say us, I'm talking about barely being out of the back of the house garage and into a industrial building in Old Lyme, Connecticut, which we know is the automotive capital of the world. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, and Alfa Romeo was uh, having a very difficult time in the marketplace getting its lunch eaten by the Maserati Biturbo. Uh, and they came to us and they said, look, um, you, could you, could you, uh, within one year's time, develop an Alfa twin turbo system for us that we could use to compete against the Maserati B-Turbo. And um, boy, that was a scary proposition because we thought that Alfa Romeo was uh, perhaps not the most reliable automobile in the world. You don't um, say. <laughs> now, now oh, let's just pause there for one second. They knew you from turbocharging what previous vehicles? I mean, uh, uh, this is a, all, a major OE coming to you now. You clearly well, have credibility. It, it, it was it was a minor OE. Don't forget, they they were on the downside of the curve. They were essentially, but they're still an OE, and you're a guy who yeah, was in a yeah. That's right, right. So uh, we had gone to the trouble to make all of the BMW, Volkswagen, and Porsche and Mercedes turbo kits. We had gone to the trouble to make them reasonably emission compliant. And, I, I like uh, that, reasonably. reasonably. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, it, it was an approximation of emission compliance. <laughs> Don't forget, this was 1970. A little looser than it is today, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. We uh, said, yes, we can do that in a year. And sure enough, we rolled out the first 10, 15, 20, I think we made maybe 35 or 36 Alfa Romeo GTV6 twin turbos, well-received by the car magazines. Uh, and then Alfa closed the doors in North America and went back to Italy, leaving us standing there in Connecticut with a really brilliant little sports car, you know, a two-and-a-half-liter uh, twin turbocharged intercooled V6 uh, front-engine rear transaxle little sedan that was a ball to drive. And they were out of business. They closed the door, went back to Italy. And then you heard, now... <laughs> right. <laughs> so what do you do? We didn't know what to do. But we did find that, that I've always said that you're only as good as your last movie. So here's what happened. One of those vehicles, unbeknownst to us, wound up at Black Lake. Black Lake is the General Motors Proving Ground in Milford, Michigan. And they, it's used for a study of the competitive set of automobiles for the whole General Motors line. Mm, I have so, uh, spent time out there before. Exactly. It's called Black Lake. Yep. Right. It so sounds like a, Motors, they would shoot. Sounds like they would shoot horror movies it's there. A, right. A lot of exactly. black asphalt in the middle of Milford. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got gotcha. A lot of black asphalt. Gotcha. So they bought a car. They tested it, and Dave McClellan picked up the phone and called me. But, the chief engineer of a Corvette group and, and said, we have this little two and a half liter V six twin turbo here. That is a dead ringer for a 1985 Corvette performance wise. Don't forget Corvette had fallen down to about 235 horsepower at the flywheel. But sure enough, the alpha was an impressive little car considering it was half the displacement. Uh, and they said, do you think that there's a way that you could do the same thing for the Corvette? And if you do, we will sell the car if you'll build it. No kidding. That's a, that's a nice phone call to get. Well, what I wanted to underline is how much luck is involved with that. You can't plan this stuff. 
you can't write a letter and ask for somebody to do this. This has to happen sort of uh, organically, uh, I guess, in a way. It is, it is organically. That's, that's but, exactly yeah, the word. You're, look, you're doing the right thing at the at the right time. Yeah. So luck has a huge uh, part so, in, what, in your in your destiny. What happened here, when so. you maybe saw yourself as uh, an alpha guy or alpha tuner? And then all of a sudden, that goes away to Italy. You don't know what's going on. Do you think that if you work with Jim, you become the Corvette guy? Or is this just a new opportunity at that point where you're like, we've got nothing else to do, let's do that? Well, you know, we were, we were hanging on by our fingernails because Alpha had gone away and we had all of our eggs in the Alpha basket, right? And Reeves, so, at, at this time you say we, what is the, who's the we? How, how large oh, is the group? Uh, oh, it's maybe 15 or 20 people in Old Lyme, Connecticut. Okay. Okay. Um, and so this was a huge uh, opportunity to, to become associated with Corvette. Um, so we saluted and said, you know, it, yes, sir, immediately, sir. May I have another, sir? <laughs> you know? Now, General Motors already had a twin turbo program underway for the Corvette. Really? Uh, yeah, you can go see the you can go see those cars today. They they were they were all built in Detroit by specialized vehicles. They were being tested. They they knew an awful lot about it, and and they said we'll give you all of that information. There there wasn't sibling uh, rivalry from the engineering teams going. Who's this Callaway guy coming in here telling us what to do? We've we've been factory backed and doing our jobs. Did they say see it as you taking their lunch in a way? No, because they had a new assignment. Okay. The new assignment was to make the double overhead cam four valve Lotus engineered LT5 engine. The ah. ZR1, the, the original ZR1. one. Right. The one with the square headlights before they bastardized those square headlights and gave them to everybody. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. I'm like, what do you mean the other ones have square head or uh, square taillights now? That's just not right. The square taillights on a ZR1, when you saw a Corvette ZR1 go by... You knew it. You knew it because it didn't sound like anything else. Uh, I think a lot of people in today's world, because of all the trucks that have them and the, all of the vehicles, a 32-valve dual overhead cam V8 today going by you is not that big of a deal. That's, it's pretty regular. There's a ton of manufacturers who have that configuration of engine. Not then. But, but back in the day, when you heard, when you saw a Corvette go by and you heard it and you looked... One of the only ways you could tell were the square taillights and a little itty bitty ZR1 badge on the on the rear, basically bumper. You know, the Corvette doesn't really mm-hmm. have a rear bumper, and that was it. And it was sort of special because they were such low production. And no, who wants to give up their you know their Corvette small block, you know, overhead valve engine for this weird Lotus design, you know, uh, V8 smaller displacement overhead cams, and. The people that got it, they got it. They were ahead of their time. That was a cool car. I'm curious, Reeves, uh, did, did they hand over any of their engineering, or they said, well, you, you, it's your playing field. Go for it. The deal between Callaway and General Motors was always, uh, we have complete uh, design freedom. Wow. What, what we think should be done. There was no uh, rules that were dictated to us. But with the ZR1 being... A little bit behind schedule, uh, and never really making it to the marketplace until 1990. Um, we had four years from '87 to uh, '90 to be the highest performing Corvette in the marketplace. Um, the trouble is, 
that <laughs> I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here. The problem is that in any specialized low production example that you're thinking about making, there's only one serious question. Do you know what it is? Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, DOT compliance? No, no. no. Mm. How many? Oh. oh, well, that's really okay. simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really simple. So the uh, when, when I asked the engineering team at, at, at Corvette how many, they said, well, how much is it going to cost to build each one of these? And I said, uh, I'm going to go for a very long walk on a very short plank and give you, <laughs> and, and give you an, an estimate. You have told us that the standard L98 engine would be able to withstand uh, a decent dose of turbocharging without failure. So we were planning on using largely the stock engine with a little manifold pressure. That turned out to be bad advice. Um, <clears throat> well, all of the initial engines that were uh, built on stock L98 componentry failed on the dyno very early in their in their testing. Uh, what was the and, big issue, Reeves? Um, oh, there were a lot. Um, but just to not go down in the weeds too far, um, what we what we realized very quickly was that we didn't have time before day one of production. That's a date that can never move. Uh, but we didn't have time to fix all the things that were wrong. We only had time to take this, the best quality small block components from the aftermarket, you know, a perfect steel crank, a great set of connecting rods, uh, Mala and Cosworth to make the pistons for us, uh, and then build each engine as you would uh, a really well-attended small block, uh, regardless of cost. Don't forget, our reputation was on the line here. So was General Motors' reputation. We could not afford to have a failure. So we threw all kinds of money at, at each one of the engines to the point where each one of these cars going out the door cost about $20,000 uh, in just engine work. Wow. Is that, that's cost. That's not including that margin and markup. Okay. That's right. And, and we sold them largely at cost. What was a Corvette back then? So if you went to the GM dealership, what were they, $40,000? So you're talking 50% oh, of the cost of the... No, 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 no. A new Corvette cost 20000 Oh, my gosh. So 100% more of the car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Oh. I didn't realize Corvettes yeah. had ever been that that uh, affordable, but I guess they were. Well, no, wait a minute. Well, but that was but the, I guess if you remember, a Mustang GT was about twelve nine nine five. Yeah, with so a five liter. When right? You say affordable. Yeah, so relative. twenty. That no, I understand that. I'm just uh, I'm I'm forgetting like how much inflation has happened in the last uh, you know thirty years. Well, don't. Uh, I'm doing this all from memory, but if you look up the price of a 1987 Corvette, I think you'll find it's about twenty thousand dollars i'm sorry the, the the story is a little bit circular because uh the the question for chevrolet was how many of the twin turbo versions of the corvette are we going to build and they came back to us and they said if these are going to cost around 20 grand we think that there's a market total worldwide of 25 cars 
25 cars? What? No way. Well, don't forget, this is very scary territory. This is doubling the price of the automobile because of the cost of the engine. Right? Yeah, but there's a lot of guys yeah. out there that are all, are all about that. How could they be that far off? In the, in the 80s. Even then, they were selling Ferraris. They so, were sell- Listen, I mean, some guy just has to give up his cocaine and hookers for a couple weeks and he's in. <laughs> I mean, it is the 80s but, after all, right? Yeah. <laughs> but nobody, no, nobody's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Touche. Well, so how could they not foresee that marketplace at all? They had blinders well, on. We said, look, you know, the moment that word gets out that there is a regular production option, B2K, assigned to a twin-turbo, super-powerful version of the Corvette, uh, you aren't going to be able to build enough cars fast enough. Especially when you look at the power output of what that car would be versus the Europeans at that time. Um, Because I think that if you were to look at Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and those sort of aspirational automobiles at the time, this was a way for for Corvette to play in rarefied air and for people to have, I don't want to say a poor man's Ferrari in a sense, but you were giving them – at that price, maybe not a bargain for a Corvette, but a bargain into that supercar world. Well, isn't it still that way today, though? Like, I think so. Yeah, I mean, with the C8 and things like that. Well, yes and no. We, we can come back to that point. But you're right. You know, for, for uh, reasonable money, you could have a car that if you arrived at the Chevrolet dealership and you had a pulse rate and a checkbook, you could go out, <laughs> the, you could go out the door with a... You know, 520 foot pounds of torque. I mean, this was a remarkable feeling car, uh, and it was quiet and it was docile, except if you stood on the right pedal long enough, you'd be going 187 miles an hour. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> By the way, and also he, the uh, penal code for murder, 187. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the point was that here we were in the beginning of the fuel economy era. The cars were geared ridiculously long so that uh, if you could, uh, you know, at 187 miles an hour in in the 4 plus 3 gearbox, I think you were only turning like 33 or 400 RPM. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm looking right now and it looks like According to the uh, the internet, the uh, Corvette uh, Coupe went for high 20s in 87, and the axle ratio on a manual was a 307, and mm-hmm. might have been uh, the standard with the uh, Dana 36 was either a 259 for the Coupe or maybe a 273 to 1. So, oh my God, is that high, especially <laughs> yeah. for those of us in the truck world where we're yeah. like, a 321 is high, and... I have a Jeep with 488s on it with 37-inch tires, so it wouldn't even run with, with 276s or 273s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if, if you could turn, you know, when you think of a traditional small block Chevrolet, you think of a, a 6,500 RPM kind of power peak mm-hmm. uh, with uh, comfortable running to 7,000 RPM. If you could turn 7,000 RPM in the automobile that was geared the way it was in 1987, 8, and 9, I think 7,000 RPM in the top gear was close to 350 miles an hour. 
god. <laughs> At that point, you've got like windows sucking off the, the seals because they're frameless windows. You've mm-hmm. got but probably all the, sorts the, of weird the, lift. <laughs> the, the point is that you couldn't get there. Of course right. not. Of right. course There not. wasn't enough power to pull that. But it did mean that the car was suitable uh, right out of the box for some pretty high speed. And that gave you a chance to uh, to sort of explore those regions of top speed in top speed testing without making too many big changes to the car. All you had to do was add power, and all of a sudden you had very high top speed capability. So we're spending each year going to the magazines, doing those high speed shootouts with car and driver. Uh, and I said to Dave McClellan at one point during one of those years, you know, Dave, we spend too much money building a new car every year. Why don't we build just one car that has an adjustable amount of top speed with manifold pressure and we'll run the car just fast enough to win the event and then we'll put it away and run it again next year and run it just fast enough to win the event. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the genesis of Project Sledgehammer. Okay. All right. Now, how did Sledgehammer get its name? So, you you know, the best car magazine in the world is... uh, in, in Stuttgart, it's called Auto Motor und Sport. They're the most serious. They're the most engineering oriented. They have the best writers, and uh, still to this day, uh, still to this day. Okay. So uh, Auto Motor und Sport put the Mercedes. Uh, I forget which model it was, but it was it was one of the early AMG cars, the ones that were all white. Was it the know? Hammer? Did and they... it was called. The, the 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 caption on the cover was "Das ist der Hammer." If I spoke German, so, I would totally understand that. I got hammer. Well, what uh, the, this hammer, is the hammer, the, I think, is what that is, right? The the hammer means this is the overachiever. Okay. Yeah. If we weren't on the radio, I could tell you what it really means. <laughs> oh, we can bleep. Oh yeah, we'll go for it. <laughs> oh no no, I, you you can't draw me on this one. <laughs> Um, Smart man, smart man. When Dave McClellan saw the AMG on the cover of Outer Motor and Sport, the next issue, they put the Callaway on the cover. Mm. Uh, The Callaway Twin Turbo regular production car. They've said to me, look, if if the AMG is the hammer, then the Corvette is the sledgehammer. Oh, Oh, look at that. One up. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, right? that's, That's how the sledge... Got its name. Man, talk about rarefied air being compared by a third party with one of the most iconic, I mean, basically, uh, sedans ever produced. Well, it's also, look at the unlimited, I would assume, unlimited funds that Mercedes right. oh, had course. with the AMG cars. Yeah. And then here comes this small, you know, yeah. upstart Callaway smacking them around from America, no From less. America, yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, it's not really smacking them around because we never tested against the, the AMG cars, but it is unusual for a magazine that is based in Stuttgart and Mercedes is in Stuttgart. So for them to, 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 to speak kindly of uh, an American sports car is, you know, that, that's, that's a, that may be a bridge too far <laughs> as far as, <laughs> so, uh, but look, that was all background to, uh, to high speed, 
testing and how well suited the Corvette was to it uh, and what our strategy for using the same car year after year was. So we needed a place that we could go test in private to find out ultimately how fast could this car go. Uh, that's very difficult to do because the higher the test speed, the more limited you are in venues that can handle it. Well, in those days, there was one venue. It was called the Transportation Research Center. It was in Ohio, and it's a seven and a half mile oval. <laughs> now you've been that's you've been a big oval, big oval. Yeah. yeah, right. You've been to Indianapolis, right? I have. Yep. Yeah, and you know what a two and a half mile oval looks like. Yeah, it's huge, right? Yeah. Seven and a half mile oval, gentlemen, there are farms in the middle of the track that don't know that they are surrounded. <laughs> I mean, that's like uh, Chelsea Proving Grounds for FCA. They have a big, big giant oval around the, you know, the middle, and, mm-hmm. and I've had a chance to drive all sorts of cool stuff on that. And uh, I don't know what – I should look and see what the mileage is on that, but it's a big-ass oval. At the Transportation Research Center, the the corners, the the you know, it's a it's a typical oval, sort of a squared off oval, mm-hmm. and the uh, the banking is neutral at 150. So so you have to you steer. can go in you can go in at 150 and take your hands off the wheel, and the car will negotiate its own corner. Uh, uh, all the way around. So no che- I just checked uh, Chelsea Proving Grounds. The oval <laughs> that I've driven is 4.71 miles. Okay. So this is just over half. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I've driven a four mile oval and thought, man, when are we coming up on the next lap, right? <laughs> is it ever going to end? Yeah. And, and that one is seven miles. Oh, my. <laughs> so uh, we went and tested the sledgehammer, uh, and it was, it was winter was closing in on us. Um, it was that week when it turns from fall to winter in Ohio. Oh, and that does happen in a week. I've I've been there in that week and it's like, what? Yeah. And, and it's getting colder and it's getting grayer. It's getting rainier and we're still not going fast enough. We're doing this thing in 10 mile an hour increments in order to be safe. And, and I have to comment that the only thing that makes top speed testing safe is having the right tires on the car. Uh, Goodyear had built replicas of the Goodyear uh, Gatorbacks that were standard on a Corvette. They had built replicas of that tire that were safe at more than 300 miles an hour. Wow. And the Gatorback, wow. it was, was the tire back in the day. It was, but th- this was at huge expense uh, they confided in us that they had spent more than a million bucks Whoa. building building eight tires. Hmm. So we had those tires on the car, and that's why we could go uh, reasonably safely f- fast. Um, when those tires showed up, Reeves, were they were they uh, handcuffed to a an engineer, <laughs> a guy with a briefcase? Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, it was just like the guy out of the Matrix. That was him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the tires were put on the car every time the car ran. You know, this was several days after days of testing, uh, and then the tires were taken off and taken somewhere. Uh, this this was a no joke situation. So I was driving the car up to about the two hundred and forty five mile an hour point. Oh my god! Which is that's freaking fast. What's the fastest well, you've it, ever been? It was fast, and, and in two a car? things happened. 
two things happened as a result. One is I promised myself I would never do that again. <laughs> it was probably the stupidest Were thing you ever. feeling lift at that point? I mean, or was the car, did it have sufficient arrow to keep it planted? Or what, what was that yes. sensation like? Well, the body that was on the sledgehammer was done by Paul Deutschman, our designer. And uh, its whole mission was to reduce drag and to kill lift. Okay. But not to try to produce downforce, just to kill oh, interesting. the inherent lift. And if you look at the pictures of the car at speed, you'll see they did a perfect job. It's perfectly balanced. We never felt the slightest uh, deficiency from, that's, from any of the aerial That's amazing. So I, we've, I've told the story on the podcast before. A uh, Chrysler engineer friend of mine, Herb Helbig, who is the basically father of the Viper and the SRT10 Viper Ram pickup truck, uh, took me for a ride around Chelsea on a Super Bowl Sunday in the snow, on one snowy February, when they, uh, after they had beat the Lightning's one uh, 141 record with uh, one or maybe 147 by going 151 point something, and then Herb took me around Chelsea and we hit uh, somewhere north of 145. Uh, somewhere in that range, but not quite what the record holder had done. And I'll never forget how that truck felt at you know almost 150 miles an hour with the glass sucking off the door, the doors trying to suck off the frame, all sorts of noise. I mean, you really have to be a very skilled driver to be feeling every input from both the road and the arrow happening at the same time and be able to compensate for that while still pushing through to the limit. And as a passenger going that fast, you're like, Holy crap, you know, like it, it's it's like the 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 light around the corners is bending, right? I can't even imagine what a hundred miles an hour faster, faster. than that yeah. would have been like. Oh my god. Yeah, my my reaction was a little different. I'm I was thinking, A, this is stupid. B, <laughs> I'll never do this again. And and C, uh, there is no skill involved here at all. <laughs> uh, Were you married so, at the time? Did you have a yes. wife to report back home to? <laughs> <laughs> I was married at the time. But <clears throat> so I, I walked away from that whole exercise. Oh, we were having problems getting the car to run cleanly uh, above 245 miles an hour. There was some contamination in the fuel injectors. Some of the swarf from uh, fabricating the fuel lines wound up uh, packing itself into the injector cavities. Uh and we thought it was an ignition miss. It turned out to be a fuel injector problem. We changed the fuel injectors, and uh, I got a call at that very moment that we were about ready to uh, go out the next day and go for, for real top speed. Um, and I got a call from our biggest client, which was Aston Martin. Uh, we had designed the engine for the new uh, Virage, and... Uh, they had said, we think that you ought to be here in England tomorrow morning. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. Well, that wasn't uncommon. You know, this was a development program, and they were paying the bills. Did so they when... fly you over on the Concorde, and have yes. you ever been it? Oh, Did they really? Oh, awesome. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. I'm a big <laughs> aviation fan, and so I'm always uh, trying to find out if people have done better flying than I have in the Concorde, sort of the uh, the echelon Yeah, and there. you'll never be on I'll one. Never be on nope. one. Nope. I was pretty impressed to uh, to take the Concorde several times back and forth from uh, England to America. But I was uh, – I'm a helicopter pilot. and Well, there's uh, something I, not right with you because I've been on helicopters and they fly weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, the, the uh, 
law of physics that keeps helicopters flying. The Earth rejects them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably some truth to that. I've got a, a lot of military friends <laughs> yep. and a few who are uh, helicopter pilots, and the uh, the fixed wing guys always give the helicopter guys a hard time and go, "You ain't you ain't right. <laughs> yeah. They don't. I'm not getting on a helicopter. They don't fly right." And the helicopter guys are like, "Ah, you don't have any skill." And it goes back and forth. But um, I've been on a few helicopters and. Uh, Never have they, uh, I mean, they're cool. I get in and you're like, all right, but you're looking at the ground going, yeah. hope this guy knows how to auto-rotate because if, if things go bad, it's- Now, Reeves, uh, do, you, do you have a copter? Do you keep it down to John Wayne or- A copter? Yeah, a copter. <laughs> I, I don't have one today, but in, in those days, yeah, we're flying an Aerospecial Gazelle. Jeez, that's um, a hell of a, that's a nice helicopter. That is a, the, the world's, well, you know, I was an instructor for Bondurant and Bob flew a Gazelle. And and they said, look, this is the helicopter that you want to get at the end of your piloting career. And he was wow. right. That, that is the ship. Everybody else is in a Robinson R44 or R22, and you're like, nice yeah. Volkswagen, right? right? Pull yeah. up in a Gazelle, a good, and you're the baller. Good, good starter ship. But so I had to get into the Gazelle and fly to JFK, get on the Concorde, and get to England for the board meeting in the morning. Uh, I called my friend John Lingenfelter whose shop was only a few miles oh. from TRC. Do you see how he name dropped right there? Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> not good enough to be a Callaway, but my friend Lingenfelter. <laughs> you guys were smoking well, cigars in the helicopter and just enjoying life? John and I were always good friends. Very uh, cool. There was, there was really no competition between us uh, other than these top speed events. Uh, but John was one of the best drivers and one of the bravest guys that I knew. So I asked him to come and finish the top speed testing for the sledge. Don't forget, this was supposed to be all top secret, right? So there was no press. There was no, nobody was allowed to speak about this. There was, you know, we were, we did a film of it and that was it. Now, is this weird now, Reeves, because where was Lingenfelter in his career? Were you guys at that point creating similar products? Um, John was working on mostly drag racing stuff. Okay. That's, that's what John's real skill set was all about. Gotcha. So no um, real competition at that point. Okay. No, uh, but John w was very good. He came to the track the next day, immediately got the car up to 254.76 miles an hour. And uh, they called me and said, we just went 254.76. Is that fast enough? And I said, is everybody above ground? <laughs> <laughs> And they, uh, I said, that is plenty fast enough. We had calculated the car would go 252 miles an hour, and it went 254, oh, wow. so we screwed up somewhere. Thank God for tailwinds. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you can't have a tailwind all the way around, though. Hey, hey, yeah. stop my joke. I'm trying to have a funny here. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> so that, that is an insider's uh, version of the story of the sledgehammer. The problem is that the number the top speed number did leak out. And you know what happened? No one ever showed up for a top speed test again. Wow. Porsche, Ferrari, Mercedes, nobody. Lambo, th there just were no more top speed events. You know why? Because the, the sled went too fast. Right, and what are they gonna do? Go, oh, I went 300 and you're going, I mean, that's just a ridiculous number. And and the second was nobody had the million bucks to spend on tires. 
Oh, okay. Mm. So because well, because Goodyear was contracted just to your project. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, they couldn't even don't, have the technology they wanted it. Right. Don't 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 forget that they were OE to Corvette. Yeah, I right. See. Right. Got so it. that definitely helped on the, being part of the Corvette program. Huge PR move for for Goodyear. Well, huge yeah. PR move for Callaway. I mean, well, now, now you're like, mic drop. Now what? And then everybody just Look, looks at you and shrugs and goes, "All right, you win. I'm out." Well, the, the point that I would like to just sort of underscore is the fact that we didn't think that we were setting any kind of a record here. We were testing something that we had built and we wanted to see how fast it would go before we turned the keys over to a journalist. Because journalists, they always abide by all the rules and will never try and do anything really stupid or drive very fast, ever. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we were really just trying to do a job. But then to, to prove the point, the car was driven from Transportation Research Center on the public roads back to Connecticut 800 miles away. In the rain and the fog and the windshield wipers now, going. Now, who drove that car? The the crew. And did they ever fess up how many guys they pulled up to you and just hammered down next to them <laughs> on the highway? Because you know was, somebody wanted to stretch the legs. Yeah, but everybody was so exhausted at that point that uh, all they wanted to do was get home. You know how those things go. Yeah, I, I being in uh, an automotive journalist for 20-plus years and having some of the most awesome badass trucks that have ever come out of anywhere from lightnings and ram srts to raptors and trx's that's true you do go through the the monotony of collecting data at the track because you're trying to 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 be consistent with your runs there's a lot of stress and and well then the adrenaline take, when you're out well, in the, the adrenaline car. and then over and over again, if you're doing high speed runs and then you back it up with a lot of braking, it's actually a lot of stress on the body in terms of the G's that you have, the 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 chassis, the way it breaks, the stutter. I mean, all that stuff. Twelve hours of doing that for a day and you are worn out. I've done you know all the track testing for for our group for you know fifteen plus years, right? And it, you're right. exhausted at the end of the day. Well, if you aren't exhausted, you haven't done the job yet. Yeah, I agree. Know. I agree. Well, I just thought that that as a little bit of a background, or the the audience might be interested in what really happened uh, in in building something for top speed testing. I'm curious now, Reeves. How does that dovetail into supercharging? Because these are twin turbo cars. It seems like your other, your contemporaries were supercharging and then went turbo. You went the other way around. Well, don't forget that the client has a lot to do with this. Okay. Uh, we were instructed to make a twin turbo version of the Corvette. Because and, that was just that was vogue at the time? No, it was the most uh, efficient way to make manifold pressure. The superchargers lagged behind. You know, in 1987 there was nowhere near the supercharger capability that there is today. Yeah, I'm sure they and they probably had a, a ton of parasitic horsepower loss as well. They did, and, and it was things like Lysholm compressors and Opcon auto rotors. Of, uh, it was the, no that look the, a supercharger's size is relative or proportionate to its horsepower, and packaging a large lump on the top of uh, an L98 was was not was going to be a non-starter. It was going to look like a, a fuel altered. 
at that point. Going to look really? like a uh, Willie's uh, CJ3B yeah. high hood <laughs> with exactly. that red valve motor. <laughs> uh, so, yes, there are horses for courses. You know, if you, if you decline the verb to perform for an internal combustion engine, the, the starting point is always simply enlarge the normally aspirated engine. That is the quickest and most efficient and most cost-effective way to get more power. Just enlarge the engine and leave it normally aspirated. The second declination of the verb is to supercharge it. In other words, supply some positive manifold pressure with a mechanically driven pump. But ultimately, if you want the most horsepower that an internal combustion engine can produce, the only way to get there is with uh, a gas-driven turbine. It has to be turbocharged because you're using heat energy to drive the source of manifold pressure. So never forget that that, is, that, doesn't, that applies to everybody. Those three steps are the same for, for everybody who's ever tried to make power out of an internal combustion engine. I guess, and you, and you can't consider things like nitrous because that's temporary, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I can only imagine back in the day, not only were compressors not as efficient on on the superchargers, but integrating intercoolers and that whole process was probably a lot different back then too. It, it, we've become really good at packaging well, they intercoolers. Were, look, I mean, superchargers originally were were for furnaces. You know, they weren't designed. You know, the, the Roots Brothers made made these things for furnaces. Sure. And so they, they created a lot of heat, and then they were later applied and guess to what? engines. In, in, in a furnace, you don't care about creating heat. Right. <laughs> right? Right. Well, well I, I, I think you'll find that the, the, the Roots pump was invented in order to evacuate coal mines. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Hmm. It was to pump fresh air down into regions that couldn't, uh, uh, couldn't get fresh air otherwise. Uh, and at you know run at the right speed, a big roots blower is a very efficient pump. It moves a tremendous amount of air very quickly. Anyway, that was my understanding. I, I could be I, I could be off. We're going to go ahead and say that uh, our guests are always going to be more knowledgeable than us. So yes. we're going to go with we, you. We, we defer a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> well, I hope somebody will check it out. Oh, okay. we've got plenty of listeners. Uh, Ray, that that's your homework assignment. He usually double checks us on anything uh, anything that has to do with a technical. Uh, we we get stuff. sourced on the daily, yeah, all the time. Yeah, so we're we're fine with that. And and, okay. and so you end up you were what assigned a supercharger project or let's continue along this line of thought well after we built the 500 twin turbo cars you know up from the estimate of 25 <laughs> wow we, you know between 87 and 91 we made 500 of the Callaway twin turbo cars could that and, have been more oh it could have been if the price could have been reduced somehow but you know we were still building these things individually hand-built one at a time. I mean, they're small masterpieces, uh, but they were not really productionized. But then, you know, they changed to the uh, the LT1 engine with its reverse flow cooling system, and it was not a good candidate for turbocharging or any kind of high output. So uh, we, we reverted back to normal aspiration uh, and made a series of engines called supernaturals, because we a little bit of a play on words, you know, they were 
they were naturally aspirated uh, to to respond like a Helmholtz resonator and and get that oscillation going, so they became super naturally aspirated. And you did that on the intake side. I mean, a Helmholtz yes. resonator is for audio, typically, right? To, no, to, to find no, a, the, a it, to tune out the resonating a, frequency, typically. Well, that's how I think they're used today. But right. Yes, but it's really just a, a way of encouraging a, an oscillating frequency, whether it's an air column or an audio frequency. I see. Interesting. So the okay. principle is the same. Okay. But it's much lower cost because the, you know turbocharging has a tremendous cost to it. Adding a supercharger has a cost in in uh, material and weight and. Uh, if you could do it normally aspirated, it would cost the the owner less. Uh, it's not going to make quite as much horsepower, but it's a really nice combination. Uh, I mean, there's always something to be said for a nice normally aspirated, uh, quick response, high compression, small block V8. But know? what kind of gains are you seeing, though? It's still, again, naturally aspirated. You're not, you're, you, all you've got is Mother, mother Nature pushing that's on the- a, That's pretty good, though. Yeah, you can, you know, if you could get 25%, you'd be doing very well. Could you actually, you could get 25%? At, at moments, at places in the torque and horsepower curve, you can approach 25%. Huh. Wow, that is a, the look on your face of perplexion well, and, I, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, like, it's like everything you've ever known. That's just really, that's really tuning. Down. Not what we know today, but this, no, is, this really, is real tuning. Real tuning. Yeah. The first application of supercharging came from our friends at Magnuson. Jerry Magnuson was a great uh, practical mechanic. He, he worked for Dan Gurney uh, on the IndyCar team and then started a business in, in which uh, Eaton gave him the right to supply to the aftermarket the basic Eaton the lobes, type. right? Right. The rotating group. So, yeah. So uh, we drove a Corvette uh, that had been supercharged by Jerry, and it was very impressive. It was it was damn quick and really responsive. We really loved it. And uh, we took over the whole uh, Chevrolet-based line from Magnuson and used that as our uh, entry into the new generation supercharged Corvettes. Uh, I think that started 2005, six, seven, something like that. But ever since then, uh, we have found adequate horsepower in uh, the the reapplication of each successive new version of the Eaton rotor pack. Uh, those guys are really good. They know what they're doing. Uh, Chevrolet's assignment to us was make sure that you achieve 100,000 mile durability. And uh, frankly, the Eaton rotor pack was the only one that uh, met the bogey. Yeah, well, and you see that today. I mean, I think you see there's so many aftermarket supercharge, uh, supercharger manufacturers that use the Eaton rotor pack because it is basically the the crown jewel of what's out there, right? It's, 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 it's the top rung. Well, it, it used to be a couple of years ago. Um, the, it's, it's very good right now, but it has some strong uh, competitors coming. I mean, so, do you um, look at uh, Reeves? Do you look at someone like, uh, you know, 
Dustin and his father over at Whipple, or are those competitors that you're, you'd consider today working with, or, or, or no? Absolutely. You know, if you've got a new assignment to to uh, supercharge a new uh, brand of automobile or a new model of automobile, you would go and re-canvas the whole field as to uh, who has done what, because there have been some very good uh, advances and moves ahead. And so that brings us up to your current offerings, I think. Well, well, no, we well, no, I, no. I, 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 was skip, gonna, I skipped what a decade. No, well, I was going to say <laughs> where. At what point did you uh, parlay yourselves into trucks? I think it was maybe 2017 with the uh, the Silverado. Is was there trucks before then? And and what made you make that pivot then? And that'll bring us up to what we're really curious about, and that's the truck offerings today. Sure, understood. Um, this is our tenth year in trucks. Wow. Oh, okay. You know, we took a slightly different approach than most of the folks in the aftermarket. I think we we said, look, this is a complicated application. We want to control our own image of quality. And that means we want to build everything that we put out the door. We don't want to be in the business of supplying parts, kits. Uh, we can't support uh, bolt-on operations. You know, we've been there 100 years ago. We're going to make the best application that we know how and build them all ourselves just like we do with the corvettes and the camaros um you know we cover the whole gm line now with anything that has a 6.2 in so everything from the corvettes camaros tahos suburbans silverados uh, the gmc equivalents and the cadillacs Dang. Have you dabbled in any other? I mean, what's your you, you could go to any manufacturer now or do you have a development contract with GM that, that keeps you here? Or is it just a platform that you just love? No, it, it, it's the one that we know the best and we have done the best job at where we've got all of that uh, tribal knowledge of how to do these things right. And we've got a relationship with the Chevrolet dealers uh, and uh, we have a relationship with General Motors warranty so that, as far as I know, this is very much more like a Roush yeah. operation yeah, for than, sure. than any other um, direct comparison that I can make. You know, this is this should be very satisfying to the consumer to say, look, I want to walk in, I want to get a professionally built truck, not something that's dealer installed. I, I want to get it uh, with the latest technology. I want a warranty support. I want it to run like clockwork. Uh, and I, you know, I'm old enough and wise enough in my career of buying high-performance automobiles, whether they be cars or trucks, to to want this done as best as can be done today. Take us through that process. So, if I'm looking at a um, a Colorado or a Silverado, the, you you said they're they're not built on the line at GM? No, they're, or? they're drop shipped. And I think you build them either in Connecticut yeah. or California, correct? Okay. Exactly. exactly. Okay. Yeah, so by they your get staff. Drop shipped to our, they, they're, they get drop shipped to our facilities. Uh, they come in on transporters and they get processed all the same. You know, you guys know well enough that you never really do a great job until you've done several hundred of the same thing. Sure. They, then you really, then you really understand. You know, then you have systems and processes in place and training of people who are doing it, so that all of the vehicles roll out the other end of the production line 
operating as well as men can make them operate. Well, I'm looking at that, the uh, the Silverado right now, and basically you guys take the uh, the 6.2 liter, 602 horsepower, 560 pound feet of torque. Uh, Lightning, care to guess the zero to sixty uh, time on that on that full size Silverado? Only because I do recall reading it oh. on his website recently, <laughs> right. but it's in the low fours, the exact four point three four three. What okay. about the quarter? Do you remember the quarter? Uh, I, I, it's under thirteen. I know twelve that. five 12, at one thirteen. Oh my! Dear okay, God. so so to put that in perspective, we were recently talking about the Ram TRX, which mm-hmm. has thirty five inch tires and is super heavy. Has a version of the Hellcat, seven hundred two horsepower, and that does zero to sixty in about four two, and the quarter mile about thirteen at one oh seven, and anything that weighs fifty five hundred six thousand pounds that covers the quarter in under thirteen seconds is. Damn fast. Impressive. It, very impressive. Uh, I have to confess, uh, I haven't driven uh, the truck that we're talking about because uh, the development crew is all in Connecticut. But when I get a call that says, uh, this is a really quick truck. <laughs> <laughs> you, be- you believe them. <laughs> I believe them. I mean, they're so good at this. I, I mean, you know, we're out here in California. We'd be happy if one showed up here to help you test drive that, and that way you have a third-party uh, validation of uh, what your team over in Connecticut said. Be happy to help you with that. I mean, look, we're we're, we're down we're for givers. the cause. And we, I feel like we have so much invested in Callaway because Holman and I both have left drool on your window down when you were in Irvine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was us. We apologize. Yeah, we, we've left DNA. That yeah. was you. <laughs> I, I, and we're sorry that we that we upset the uh, the cleaning service that few times that they caught us there. It was uh, it was embarrassing a little bit, uh, but uh, but we're not ashamed. They didn't catch well, us, look, so that was good. We ran you know, fast. As the cars start to roll into the West Coast, you are welcome to uh, take a car and and drive it. We should we should have a West Coast demonstrator out here shortly. Wonderful, um, but. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to uh, do is introduce you to uh, my son, Peter Calloway, who runs the West Coast facility, who is an engineer and an excellent race car driver and a great manager of the facility down there. I, I would like to maybe suggest that this uh, interview uh, lets me speak to things like the, the history and some of the things that we talked about. And then for a, a real uh, insider's view of the technical coverage of, of the truck, uh, let's get Pete involved. Sold. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to have to twist our arms. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, if, if, if that's a, uh, a, a veiled invite to uh, come down and, uh, and, and speak to, uh, to your son, I would uh, absolutely love to jump at that opportunity to see the trucks in person, maybe get some recordings of what the engines sound like, uh, because obviously sound plays really well in audio format. Um, no, we've shot video before. We've no, done course. video that did no, perform no, really course. well. Of yeah. course. Hey, uh, uh, Reeves, uh, your, your, your son, is he uh, on the mechanical engineering side, electrical engineering? What's his passion? Yeah, mechanical engineering. Okay, okay. Yeah. Let's go back to, I feel like we, we, we went too quickly over the Silverado. So if we go through the package, you, of course, with the signature edition, the standard equipment includes, uh, you got your 602 blown horsepower, um, brake horsepower, I should say, um, 560 pound-feet of torque at 4,500 RPM, which is right in the sweet spot there, uh, 0 to 64.3 seconds. You got a serialized build number. 
You get the Gen 3 supercharger with the triple-cooled intercooler system. Now, this is what I've been dying to talk about. So the biggest issue, I think, with all of these YouTube builds, and I don't know, Reeves, if you spend any time on YouTube, but every guy's bolting on a supercharger, a twin turbochargers, triple uh, uh, turbochargers, Say that 10 times fast. I can't triple charge, <laughs> but what they screw up on every single time, Reeves, you know this, is intercooling. That the 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 compressed air that they're blowing into the intake manifold is, you know, hundreds of degrees hotter than when it than when it came in through the grill of the car so, so or truck. Funny, uh, right? we've been using your Banks i dash and my uh, my Wrangler, which has the Edelbrock supercharger on it. And I recently took it on a 2,000-mile trip, and it was fun to watch the iDash because we've got the uh, the air density, we've got the temperatures at the ambient, mm-hmm. uh, post-compressor, uh, post post-intercooler. Yeah, pre and post, yeah. both devices. And, and it was fun to watch as I was climbing. And it's funny how at steady state, the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the exiting the compressor Don't temps going were a little- into the intercooler? Into the intercooler were high, and as soon as I'd get on it because of the amount of air being blown through it, it actually dropped, and then it was fun Drops. to watch it see what it did yes. with the uh, with the post intercooler. And it was a fascinating I'm driving up I seventy to Utah, altitude mountains, and just having that data to see what the blower's doing at any given time. So oh, you're probably seeing what a fifty degree drop across the intercooler. Do you recall? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about this because you've done some really radical things in the Gen three uh, supercharger where you've reversed the rotation, so now the uh, the air is traveling up and around and going into two intercooler. I'll let you explain it. Well, you're right. Uh, and, and, you know, if you stand back from the whole problem, the whole thermodynamic problem for a second, you realize that there's only one thing that can't be too big on the automobile, and that's the intercooler. Right. You know, ideally, you'd like to have one the size of a Mack truck. <laughs> that's a big intercooler. Yeah, that's uh, that's a big ass intercooler. What are you hauling around, Bob? My intercooler. <laughs> yeah. Why is your Corvette hood so high? <laughs> so uh, w- what we did was uh, not reverse the rotation of the supercharger, but to turn the supercharger upside down. Oh, so that, interesting. So that instead of blowing down into the intake manifold, it blows up into a manifold that allows the air to be bifurcated, split in half, and come back down the, the sides of what would be uh, trumpets sticking up in the air, uh, come down through a pair of... I feel like uh, I'm talking air. to the future right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, uh, that, that was a, a good compromise from a packaging point of view. And it was a way of putting two pretty good-sized bricks in for uh, <laughs> li- li- liquid-to-air intercooling. It's almost a shame, though, because when you look at the pictures of the engines, they have the the the, the uh, supercharger body and the shrouds on them. I would love to see what one of those look like naked. Yeah, because it's, it's all covered. And right. It's, it's pretty. It's got to be like just but, full mechanical art. Well, I agree with you, and that's why we get rid of all of the plastic covers that normally are on a modern engine compartment. Uh, you know, everything that you see there is cast aluminum. Wow. Uh, and it's actually the housing of the supercharger. Sure, yeah. Oh, no and kidding. It, it looks to, great. To the untrained eye, it does It, it, it does look like a, a shroud. A shroud, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. But when you see it in person, you, you see immediately that that's not the case. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, and, and it really is, like you say, a reflection of what's going on inside. 
you know, if you want to think about it one more time, it is as you blow air up from the supercharger, you go through a central uh, liquid to air brick that then bifurcates the air as it goes back down through two other bricks. So that's why it becomes triple cooled. How effective is that over a single intercooler? I mean, it's not well, triple, right? But you, you can't get a single one packaged in there enough i see so this is a packaging exercise mm. to to take the space available in each stage of airflow and find a way to put more and more intercooling in the air path and, and by the way in case we weren't clear 50 state legal and the, yep. it comes with the standard three-year thirty-six thousand mile warranty um oh, but you can get an optional five-year sixty thousand now Obviously, if you buy it through the dealer and you're starting with it as a Callaway at zero miles, you're going to have that that standard warranty that you'd get, that you'd have if you were to buy it uh, a vehicle directly from the manufacturer. Now, can somebody bring you their truck and have you make it a Callaway? And then how does that work in terms of warranty uh, if somebody sure. brings you their existing uh, truck that they have? Good question, excellent question. Because here we are, uh, three years late bringing this to the market. And as you know, you can't easily go find a 6.2 liter on a dealer lot these sure, days. Sure, sure. Right. But there's a lot of 6.2 liters in the hands of current owners. So yes is the answer. You can bring the car in. Uh, if it's a 6.2, you can bring it in, and we can do exactly the same work that we would do to a brand new car. Of course, we, we like to see it be as low mileage as possible, but uh, realistically, most of them are low mileage anyway. Um, and then our warranty uh, has to parallel the uh, what's called the in-service date that the car has. So if you bought your uh, 6.2 liter Silverado uh, last year and it went in service in September, uh, you've already used the warranty from September to now. Uh, but whatever is left from now forward, uh, you can still use. Okay, Did, gotcha. Was that, that clear? Makes sense. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In parallel, um, can uh, I just want to go over the the C? We talked about the C cars and the C projects. I just want yep. to hit them really quick, just so people go to uh, CallawayCars.com and look at the history. There is a link that goes to the C projects. The C1 turbo systems from 77 to 91. The C2 HH IndyCar engine from 79 to 84. The C3 Alfa Romeo twin turbo, which we talked about, 83 to 86. The C4 twin turbo Corvette, 87 to 91. C5 was the Aston Martin Virage AMR1, 88 to 89. C6 was the Supernatural Corvette, 92 to 96. Of course, Callaway C7, 93 to 96. The C8 was a Supernatural Camaro, 93 to 02, C9 Callaway Impala SS, which I had forgotten about. That was a badass car back in the day, and it was basically a uh, souped-up cop car, essentially. Um, <laughs> I, I, we should have used that. I oh, that, that's incredible. <laughs> souped-up cop car? 94 to 96, uh, souped-up cop car, by the way, uh, opening up uh, at uh, at. The Pomona Glass House. Uh, are, are, yeah, yeah. are they really yeah. for a, a Nirvana cover band? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the uh, <laughs> the C10 Corvette Ski Boat. I remember that as well. 96 to 97. The C11 was the Land Rover 4.6 HSE 98 to 99. The Callaway C12. We talked about that version of the Corvette 97 to 01. 
The C-13 was a Holden special vehicle, so that's an Australian uh, vehicle. So you guys are globetrotting again uh, there. The C-14 Mazda Speed Protégé, 01 to 03. That's kind of an interesting Which is a little sort. left of center for them, I yeah. think. C-15 was the Callaway Corvette Racing, 05 to current. Uh, Cowie C16 automobiles, uh, 05 to 13. Now, hold on. That yes. Mazda, though, yeah. I, I, hold on a second. Just We have to go back for a second because it's a weird one. It and, is a weird that one. List, yeah. The horsepower, and I don't recall it offhand. I don't sure. have the webpage pulled up. Sure. The horsepower. One, 170. On, yeah. <laughs> 170 on that. It was a Mazda speed, it's, right? Yeah. It's probably yeah. the lowest uh, horsepower, but also the most one of the most awesome cars. Right. Because the Mazda Protégé, actually, the chassis handling all that, it was a great car. It was. Yep. I, that, that, I bet that thing was a hoot to drive. Did uh, you just say a hoot? I did say a hoot. Oh, jeez. C-17 Callaway Supercharged Corvette, <laughs> 05 to present. C-18 Callaway Supercharged Camaro, 09 to present. C-19 Callaway Supercharged Sport Truck, 11 to present. And C-20, the Callaway Arrow Wagon, 14 to present, which was the uh, uh, shooting brake, if you will. It's like a two-door wagon. Right. Very cool. That's a lot of different stuff in your, uh, in your portfolio. It is, and it just shows that, uh, you know, each one of those projects was really exciting to do. Um, and especially working for the OEs, you know, because the the bar is so high if you're going to make something that has to last, has to be reliable, can't fail, has a low warranty incident, and, oh, by the way, has a sales price that is sustainable. Um, that's the challenge with the whole art of, you know, specialty vehicle engineering. That's the whole challenge, right? You, you know, though, and Reeves, some of the other things that set you apart are the things it's I, – I, this bugs me, is that we all take the door sills for granted. We all take grills for granted. If it's plastic – Really? Those, oh, bug, it's, those it's, bug you? No. No, they don't bug me. What I'm saying is we the fact that they, we take them for granted. I know. Because, that's why I'm laughing because out of all the things that could bug you, that's that's the thing. No, because I have seen engineers toil over these. Of course. And over making the molds, yes. over the look and the feel. And Some ha- guy takes ha- out his Dremel and just hacks one up. Just, what I'm saying is there are a lot of people that can just add horsepower to a, to an engine, all right, crudely. But what, what, it, what sets a Callaway apart are all of the accoutrements. Right? You just wanted to use accoutrement. I just had to get to accoutrement. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really the overall experience. It's the package. It's the holistic approach. It's drivability. I, when I'm looking at the Silverado, the first thing yeah. it's telling you is the, uh, it's got to be like two and a half feet wide, this Callaway logo <laughs> in the grill, right? Yeah. But it is, it's, it's so attractive and so well designed and it's so OE looking. It, it, that took an engineer, you know, a while just to design that. And just for the molds and just all the process that went into that, just the logo in the freaking grill is is a month's worth of work. and Way more than that. May, maybe, maybe so. <laughs> and so the average person goes, oh, it's got a Callaway grill. What about the horsepower? I'm like, whoa, stop at the Callaway grill thing. Like – Maybe I'm making too big of a small thing, but those are the things sometimes that impress me because yes. I know what goes Look into it. Look at the photos on, uh, on CallawayCars.com. There's a ton of really nice details on the interior, on the outside, that you don't see right away when you first see the vehicle. But if you spend some time looking at it, you kind of pick up some things that are different than stock that are just the niceties that if you are, you know, the touch points, the, the, the seats, the, the things you're looking at, it's all those things that make the driving experience and the ownership experience a little bit more special. Than something else, and honestly, you know, uh, the Silverado doesn't have the best interior on the market right now. But his does. His does. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm so glad that you guys are 
tuned into that stuff because that's what we're tuned into. And uh, it's, it's nice to hear that it, it's recognized because it is difficult and it's time consuming. And uh, it's wonderful that, that somebody sees that and appreciates Reeds, can I ask you a, a, just a totally different question? Because we were reading through your bio and some past interviews, and one particular story grabbed our attention because we thought it was hilarious. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And that was, <laughs> uh, as we talked earlier, uh, Callaway Vineyards, Callaway Golf. The Callaway name is tied into these other industries and, and has some weight behind it. But there was a particular thing about your dad with Callaway Golf Clubs that you told him maybe it's not a great idea. And we just we thought maybe you could share that story with our, our listeners. Oh, you know, there, there are times when a son uh, says to his father something that shouldn't be said. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, uh, here, here's the scene. My dad was a great uh, salesman and, and a great marketer and uh, a great golfer. Um, and he wanted to make his own golf clubs and he uh, was having a lot of trouble, um, because these were wooden shafted golf clubs, uh, with a, with a steel core down the middle. And it was very difficult to drill a hole all the way through a three quarter inch hickory dowel and have the drill come out the other end in the middle. I don't know if you've ever tried to, to do something like that, but half of the time a drill walks out the side of, sure. of, the, of the thing and, and it's junk. But a gun drill, a, a rifle maker's gun drill, automatically goes from end to end of the dowel and comes out perfectly every time. And, and you know, New England was the home of all of the early firearms production in the United States. So gun drills are a, a standard uh, part of a machine shop in, in Connecticut. Um, so I made a gun drill for helping dad, uh, get the hickory sticks made correctly. And, uh, you know, I would go out to the back of the car with an arm load full of hickory sticks, as many as I could carry. And I'd sort of put them into the car for him and he would drive off to the golf shops and, and sell them to the golf pros. And one day I was really tired of making the damn. <laughs> uh, and I said to him, you know, Pop, I don't think this whole golf thing is going to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, that, that's a bad story, but it's a true story. Well, what's so. funny about it is even if you don't know golf, Callaway is one of the names that you do know that comes from the golf world. So wait a minute, are, are, are we hearing that Reeves almost killed Big Bertha before Big Bertha <laughs> happened? It probably. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine a world without the Bertha? Uh, not the same. Just not the well, same. Well, so I want to mention really quick here, the Colorado Project. I'm curious how the Colorado Project came along. 410 horsepower, 380 pound-feet of torque from a Colorado. You know, uh, that's impressive. When you look at us enlisting Chevrolet dealers uh, throughout North America to carry the Callaway trucks or to carry the Callaway Camaros or Corvettes. We do that because you can't sell from an empty cart uh, unless there's a demonstrator vehicle on the grounds at the Chevrolet dealership. Nobody is is going to feel what we want them to feel 
So what do Chevrolet dealers sell more of than anything else? The trucks, right? Uh, and with the advent of the new midsize truck, uh, we thought we would give it a try. And it literally was an experiment because um, the most logical thing for us to attack is always the largest performance offering that the company has. So we had never experimented with the V6 uh, families, but we decided to take uh, a chance and see how we would be received in the marketplace. So uh, that's where that was the gestation of the of the Colorado, a popular truck, capable off-roader, uh, and uh, more affordable for many more people. With a whole lot more power. Yeah. And, and then just make it more powerful. You know, that's oh. how it happened. I'm curious when you were talking about, you know, adding uh, uh, superchargers to these trucks, you've got to change the tuning. And we, we, we talked uh, recently, uh, Holman had a supercharger bolted onto his Jeep JL, um, and he had to have his ECM sent out, uh, quote unquote, jailbroken, and then, uh, and then he could upload a tune to it. How does it work on the Callaway side? Do you, are you in bed with GM, or do you add a piggyback device, or how's that? Uh, what does it look like? What we did was we came up with our own proprietary calibration supported by our own ECU. Oh. And I should comment, first of all, that it preserves all of the original functionality of the standard uh, ECU. In other words, you're not giving up anything in order to have this thing be a supercharged version of the car. You have the, the underlying baseline of all the capability built into the uh, into the standard ECU and then the supplemental capability and sensing in order to be able to sense the changes that you need to, to sense when you're talking about normally aspirated versus supercharged you know pressures and temperatures need to find a way into the calibration right right so that's what we did we took uh, a big step and made a fully integrated uh, ECU and Cal, we call it the Cal-Cal. Pardon me if that's... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah the calibration, <laughs> yeah. right? Callaway so, calibration. And that means that when you, uh, as a user, go to the uh, dealer and there's an over-the-air update for your software, uh, it will not be recognized by our ECU because we don't want it to be. The tune, the, the calibration that we have in the car should not be replaced by a, an automatic over-the-air update. So that's what we also accomplished by making our own ECU and calibration. Wow. And that's a of monumental expense. I mean, that is quite yeah, an endeavor that, to that do. That is a, a huge undertaking. Yeah. And Reeves, that's going to take you into the future as well. I mean, when we saw the C8 Corvette, as soon as it hit... There were, it was in, we've talked about this before, it was in the, in hands of YouTubers everywhere. Like mm. these quasi celebrities that were all, it was a race to see who could twin turbo their C8 Corvette. <laughs> and yet none of them, not a single one had a tuning solution. So they, yeah. uh, two of the five that I follow blew up their <sighs> engines because they're, you know, Big time. Or, and it rejected the boost. It was just all kinds of bad. And yep. and they didn't have. Now they're starting. Somebody's got a piggyback solution that's fighting the ECM. And 
the only real way to do that is what you've done, which is replace the stock ECM with a complete ECM with all the proper tuning. We hope so. We, we hope that turns out to be the the, the right solution. Uh, you know, that whole world is in a state of flux right now. Uh, you know, access to OE software is uh, the the subject that's on everybody's lips these days. But right now, we have a very good solution in the Colorado. We didn't talk about the last thing, Holman, which is price for these two. What what are these running? Our listeners. For uh, listener for us, because I feel like uh, that- uh, We're penalized. Uh, it's more for no, us. No, 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 no. I feel like our relationship with Uncle Reeves now has uh, endeared him to us. And, Uncle Reeves. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has. It has. I, I, think, I think it actually qualifies you for what we call the clergyman's discount. Oh, okay. Do you know what that is? Uh, is that where you just can sit at a distance and look at them? No, that's when you jack it up 50 and then down 10. Oh, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you, Reeves? <laughs> that Sorry. sounds about right. Well, you know, why do we get that discount everywhere? It's really weird. I heard they actually renamed that the Truck Show Podcast discount. Is that it? Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> I'm not liking this. Uh, for, for reference, uh, the only price that I know off the top of my head is for the special edition uh, with... The, the power of the exhaust, the, all the accoutrement and the wheels <laughs> and the wheels, and that's all as a package together, and that's 27k. Okay. All right, um, then that's that's actually pretty reasonable considering what you're getting as a package. It's not just a, a engine swap that might cost 30 somewhere. It's it's a complete yeah. holistic approach to the vehicle. Exactly. I am really appreciative of your time. Obviously, uh, a very uh, a very busy. Are, are person. you insinuating that I'm not? No, 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 no. I, I I'm just well. saying. Oh well, then you have to speak for yourself. I'm not okay. your lawyer. I don't speak for <laughs> you, right? Uh, no. In all seriousness, we really appreciate you coming on the Truck Show podcast because uh, we know you're busy. But just having your depth of knowledge, the story about the industry, how you built the business, all of that is so valuable to uh, to people today. You know, it's great to get questions from knowledgeable folks. Uh, that's uh, that's really refreshing. Did we fall uh, short tonight? <laughs> you know, you, you've got the best questions that I've had, really. We appreciate that. Fantastic. Well, listen, Reeves, thank you very, very much. Uh, we appreciate it. We will hook up with Peter and... Uh, We'll, we'll definitely be hooking up with you you soon. Yeah, we, we would love to uh, spend some time uh, listening to those sweet, sweet supercharged 6.2 liter V8 noises. Bingo. We really appreciate your time. This has been such a, uh, you know, such a treat to be able to talk to you for so long, and, and thanks for hanging in and, and uh, entertaining us with, uh, with some great knowledge because these are stories that the average person doesn't get to hear. And it's it's neat to be able to share this with all the people listening. Well, again, you know what? Part of we do a news segment every week where uh, where Holman will go through all the news stories, and we'll we talk about you know the special edition, the Silverado, and it, to to many of our listeners, it could just be another brand yeah. with another high horsepower. But when you hear the backstory, you hear um, it's the humanization of the brand. It shows absolutely. that that we can talk to the guy that started it, who has the same passion for this stuff that we do. I think that's that's what's really special for everybody, and so we really appreciate. It's not the XYZ mobile. It's Callaway named after the guy who runs it, who's still alive and, and extremely involved. You know, I mean, it's that's it speaks volumes. So uh, that's cool. Reeves, can't uh, thank you enough. We, we will definitely uh, reach out and, and get Peter on the horn. Okay, man. All right. Nice job. We appreciate nice job. it. Super. Talk soon. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. Man, you know, I knew that Reeves was going to be good, but. 
I didn't anticipate that good. He's my uh, new favorite uncle. It's since when is he your uncle? Since I coined him Uncle Reeves. <laughs> I see. Hey, can we do some truck news? No, because I want to hang out with Uncle Reeves some more. Oh, then we're going to have to close up shop and actually leave the studio. Yeah, then we go down and check out all that stuff in person. That sounds way cooler than uh, finishing the show, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go. See you guys. Oh, no, Wait, it's actually, just us. <laughs> yeah, we have some. Uh, uh, hey, we I got think, some truck news to get no, to. Okay. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Ah. Oh! All right. Eh. That was okay. All I mean, right. not not our best. That's that. That's for sure. Uh, we we'll do better next time. Try again. Yeah. We will. <laughs> yeah, next time. Hey, uh, did you hear? No. So we may have an idea of uh, exactly what the horsepower and torque rating of the upcoming Toyota 3.5 liter twin turbo gas V6 that will allegedly power the uh, Tundra and potentially the Tacoma, uh, what that might be. Uh, can I take a guess? Sure. I'm going to say horsepower is going to be 330. Torque will be 310. What's that? Exactly right. No, no, no way. No, no way. <laughs> uh, what is it? What was it? Uh, 420, 434. Oh, holy. What the yeah, heck? Yeah, healthy. Uh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's that's solid. You look I'm happy the, to have been wrong. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you look at what Ford's doing with their 3.5, those are some healthy numbers. Yeah. Huh. For, wait, for what again? Uh, 420, 434. I mean, uh, our Toyota fans will be happy with that, I'm sure. I mean, that's healthy. Uh, that is what allegedly uh, is coming out of a forum, and they're saying that that's the engine behind the new Land Cruiser 300 series, which is not coming here. Uh, also supposed to be backed by a 10-speed automatic. So that's a huge leap in technology from where they are today. I'll be interested to uh, find out where they go from there. And uh, some other news coming out is, uh, there will be hybrids uh, and full electrics coming, which I don't think is surprising coming from Toyota. Right. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No. <laughs> so have, you, uh, have you met the 1989 Jeep Grand Wagoneer Hellcat? Have I met it? No. no. Uh, it's called the Hell Wagon. It's a Wagoneer with 707 horsepower Hellcat swap <laughs> done by, uh, I guess it was Collins Brothers uh, Jeep down in uh, in Texas. And uh, it's going to be headed to Mecham as part of the uh, Kissimmee Summer Special Event from August 27th through 29th. Nobody has a pre-auction estimate, but for reference, the listing on the page had it listed for, can you guess? Sure. 135. Wrong again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 128, so you're not too far off. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, It's gorgeous. Uh, Everything about it is amazing. And yes... It is like a ruby red color with wood paneling, perfect. which makes it super rad. Perfect, perfect. I just hope as you're driving, it starts peeling off from all the speed. Um, it's just, it's just glorious. Yeah, the uh, wood paneling is pretty amazing on that. It's, it's reminds me of my uh, parents' uh, LeBaron station wagon. Oh, going back to a K car reference, which was awful in every way. In every way, yeah. literally in every way. Uh, did you hear? No. I didn't. Wow, that was a long <laughs> one. Um, unfortunately for this story, it won't be a long one. Uh, the Lordstown uh, all-electric endurance pickup truck 
went down to the San Felipe uh, 250 and uh, stopped at mile marker 40. Oh, so the people driving said, no! <laughs> and I'm sure management also said, no! No! <laughs> I mean, yeah, even, that's even, bad even, PR. I mean, even the investors might have said, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but they definitely did, what they said. Uh, hashtag ride with Lordstown. They did make a, a, a you know release a nice little statement after the race. What a ride we've had getting to the score, San Felipe 250. The endurance's hub motors, battery pack, and software performed very well today, and everything we did and experienced in Mexico has provided us with valuable insights into how the endurance's technology performed and responded to the demanding and treacherous conditions. We are stopping here and taking our incredible learnings back to Lordstown. Thank you to everyone at Lordstown Motors. Our partners at Brenthal Industries and Elaf Propulsion Technologies and all of our champions, your hard work, dedication, and passion for the endurance is the reason we made it to Mexico and the reason we'll keep going as we continue our beta builds ahead of the start of production this September. The lessons learned in the desert will become part of the endurance's DNA and help us to meet the rigorous performance expectations and requirements of our customers. Well, that's pretty cool. How about no? <laughs> I mean, it didn't finish. That is the ultimate... PR spin right there, you know. It I is. mean, it's his tail between the legs. Uh, we, you know, we yeah. failed, but we're we're learning hey, from these learnings. They did it. They did it classy, though, right? They did. Uh, the 2022 Hyundai Santa Cruz first look is out on fourwheeler.com, and uh, everybody who sees it and wonders if it's a pickup truck says no. <laughs> yeah, it's very quick. You uh, instantly know. Uh-huh. It's uh, basically a small Honda Ridgeline. It actually is kind of cool looking. Uh, from our man on the ground, Jason Gonderman, and he says it's pretty impressive for what it is. Obviously, we're it's a little activity vehicle that might be able to go take a mm. you know dirt bikes down a dirt road, but it's not a truck. Just like the Ford Maverick, won't be a truck. Just like the Honda Ridgeline, not a truck. And uh, it looks cool, but I say no. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? How about new? No. Uh, the first uh, Jeep truck with a Texas badge is officially the. Jeep Gladiator Texas Trail Edition. All right. There's a lot of uh, 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 qualifiers there. Yes. The first Jeep, Jeep truck, truck with a Texas badge. Yeah. And I feel like, do we care? Mm, I mean, no. But if you're in Texas and you want a uh, Gladiator Sport S grade with either the uh, diesel or the gas V6 mm-hmm. with steps, trailering package, black leather interior, a seven inch infotainment system. And 32-inch mud terrains with some special uh, wheels. It can be yours with a starting price of $40,435. No. Uh, is that you saying no to that? I'm saying, yeah, it's me saying no. It's you saying no. Not interested in the Texas edition of the Gladiator. All right. How about the Sherp Arc? I don't know if you recently saw uh, Top Gear America took the Sherp Arc, which is uh, takes the uh, 4x4 crazy-looking Sherp thing and adds a trailer on the back of it with uh, six giant tires. Um, it's kind of cool. If you go to fourwheeler.com, you can read all about it. Well, where are you, you going to use that, though? You know, uh, I mean, you're not going to use that. Antarctic. To, yeah, and I mean, nowhere in the Florida. urban environment. Florida, Florida. yeah, sure, sure. I mean, sure. you can probably take it to swamps. I guess if you are float-ish. Yeah. If you live in the, uh, I don't know, the outback somewhere? I mean... The forest? Maybe. The Everglades? Everglades seems plausible, hmm. I, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't know. What about it? Come on! If somebody handed you the keys, would you drive it? Yes, of course. It's in a photo doing a wheelie with a trailer behind it. Come on! Why is it Come doing on, it? Lighting? How's it, Who how's cares? It doing a wheelie? It's rad. Wait, what? How's it doing a wheelie? Look at that! 
yeah. Come on, you want to play with that? Uh, yeah, I would. That's a Tonka toy right there. Totally. It's like a rich, grown man's Tonka toy. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I take back all of my nose and I give that a... Yes. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No. No, no I didn't. Uh, GM, actually, I think you did hear because you uh, sent this to me, even though I had uh, just read it. But GM is backing down on the uh, 2035 no internal combustion engine story. Oh, yeah. They're saying, uh, you know what? Uh, we'll keep making these as long as you guys want to keep <laughs> buying them. Yeah, uh-huh. something like that. So I think the uh, the push to electrification is real. I think we're going to see it. But in talking to some of my friends on the inside, uh, you know, they said, well, read, you know, our statement very carefully. It's an, We're aspiring to do that. We're not actually going to walk away from it. Those of you guys who... Uh, need your Duramax uh, fix to tow your horse trailers around in 10 years are probably going to be okay. Um, just saying. I think uh, GM maybe painted themselves in the corner. I think they were very specific with their language by saying, you know, like it's it's what, you know, they're intending to uh, do it. Well, but- I mean, look, look, they are going after, they've got a new military division, right? Uh, yep. So GM, GM defense. defense. Okay, here's the thing. When you do a deal with the defense department, they want to know that the engines will not be obsolete in two years. Yeah. So if they want to sell Duramax engines, for example, to the military, those 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 engines have to be available and serviceable for all many years to come. And we'll have some more uh, stuff on the GM defense story coming up. We're uh, doing some cool things here in the next, uh, I don't know, month or so. Oh, really? Mm, I mean, I am. Oh, come on. What? Really? Did you read an email where the guy said, hey, take lightning along on the next journey? I can't take anybody along. I'm just saying that I have an opportunity to do some stuff that I can bring to the Truck Show podcast listener. It'll be cool. Will the audio be audible? Probably not. (laughs) Then don't do it. (laughs) Well, maybe I'll just look at the settings next Uh time. It would have sounded better if you had put the recorder in your butt cheeks and then clenched tightly it would have been less muffled than what you gave us. How did you know that's what I did? Oh, man. I'll do it again, and then I'll <laughs> hand you the recorder don't. to pull the, no, uh, no, the no. card out. Uh-uh. All right. Well, uh, I think that's enough depressing news, although GM possibly making internal combustion that's engines. That's great news. That's great news. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, so speaking of the uh, gloriousness of internal combustion engines, why don't we uh, move on into Know Your Note. Come on now, it's time to take a trip down Speedy Lane. We're gonna play an exhaust for you, and nope, we're not insane. Well, maybe a little. Know your note. Come on and cast your vote. Know your note. Get it right, and you can gloat. Know your note. Vroom, 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 vroom. All right, Holman, what you got for me? All right, at the beginning of the show, I told you that I would reveal this note during Know Your Note. Mm-hmm. You got to play it again for we'll us? Play it again. Okay. That's right. I uh, do recall it's throaty. Guesses. <sighs> okay, so that is a Borla attack, right? Uh-huh. All right. On what V8? Which is their uh, hmm. their more aggressive uh, sounding exhaust. That's a, it's, it's a V8. Got to be. And that is on a... Would you like to hear stock? 
Uh, would I? Uh, yes. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Stock, please. All right. That stock. This is stock. Sounds rattly and smooth and not appealing. Oh wow! And then you so, turn that into this same vehicle. Oh my god! Night and day. Is this vintage or is this modern? Modern. Modern. All right. Modern. Okay. What do you got, what do you got for me, Lightning? Is this a Hemi-powered uh, pickup? It is not. Oh. Not a Hemi. All right. What's le- uh Is this a Chevy with a 5.3? It is not. Oh. Is this a... Ford with a five-liter Coyote? Are you just throwing spaghetti yes, on the I wall? I don't know what to... I don't... Yeah, this, I'm out. Do, are you ready? Yeah. The Borla exhaust is for the 2019 to 2021 Chevrolet Silverado and GMC Sierra 1500 with the 6.2 liter. Oh, see, I was close-ish. You were close-ish. Close-ish. You were close-ish. Hmm. I mean, you guessed with the Hemi, at least you're going for, uh, you know, uh, overhead valve. Sure. Push rod engine, so yeah. I'll give you that. Uh, you got close. You're in the neighborhood. With I'm a not 5. good 3. at. Uh, it's I'm not good at the push rod versus. Like I don't hear those differences. I'm not sure what to listen for. Uh, Camminess has that like song. Yeah. And burliness is in the push rods. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we've got a few from our listeners. Do you want to uh, listen to those and see if you can do any better? I will fail miserably, but okay. I'm, I'm totally up for it. <laughs> All right. How about this one right here? <laughs> Got to be a twelve, 12 valve, valve, right? Twelve valve, yeah. Yeah, twelve valve sounds great. All right. All right. So uh, the answer, and Rich Knowles sent it to us from the UK. He actually know your notes. <laughs> he actually did it right because we asked you guys to send us a file and then a follow up email. So mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I'm going to read the follow up email now. It says, uh, "Hey guys, Holman, do you?" Know your notes. The answer to my know your note I sent you is the venerable Cummins, no G, 6BT, in an FV432 armored personnel carrier. Says he works after, uh, or he works for a museum that looks after military surplus vehicles, and they uh, occasionally get military personnel in to work with us for a few months. And uh, anyway, he says he's attached this video that I'm going to play for you. And I'm not going to finish the rest of his uh, his um, email email because I want you to hear this. Is this the same vehicle it or is, it's different? Oh, it's a different one. All right, ready? All right. That does not sound like a twelve valve, though. It's not. Okay. Sound like a um, a twenty four either, and it doesn't sound like a you know like a like a six seven right? No, definitely not. Huh. 
All right, he says uh, he's attached this video. It's a few guys running up an FV510 APC, uh, which is a 20-something liter single turbo diesel V8. He says, uh, I have no idea the numbers it makes or any of the other details because uh, he doesn't need to know that with his job. He says, uh, cheers again. That's Rich in the UK. So that's uh, the V8 makes sense now. That's awesome. So uh, Rich with the, uh, with the bonus cut there. All right, you ready for the next one? Know your notes. Yes, I am. Oh, electric fuel pump. Sounds good. I'm going V8, gas, yeah, push rod. Okay. I don't know beyond that. Do you think that this is in a truck? Yes. Okay. What, huh. are, what are you thinking? I'm thinking it's a it's a Chevy. Okay. And I'm thinking it's a uh, I think it's a 350. I think it's vintage. You know, I think it's... I'm uh, going to go with bigger than a 350. Oh, really? Uh, I'm going to say it's a 454 for giggles. Okay. Just because. Does Holman know your note? Do you know your note? And the answer is... Uh, we were both wrong, so give us the buzz. Oh, damn. It says uh, that was a 2006 Dodge Ram 5.7 liter Hemi with a cheap performance muffler <laughs> and a whole bunch of exhaust leaks. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and that was from uh, Mike Rich. Yeah, that was... Try again! <laughs> All right. Uh, fortunately for you, we have one more to listen to. Oh, yes, please. All right. It's not exactly a cold start video because I took my father-in-law for a ride this morning, but we got some garbage in the back because, well, heck, it's a truck. So we're going to take a garbage. But uh, we got the... By the way, um, you're going to have to guess this because I'm watching the video because mm-hmm. this is not just an MP4 or MP3. It's a video. Oh, uh, and his uh, kid is sitting in the front seat just waiting to get the okay from dad. It's oh, awesome. Oh, to start it. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, do I? Know your notes. So far, not yet. We'll go ahead and fire it up. Go ahead, Caleb. Oh, I know that. I know that ding. So, that ding is Chevy. So, the exhaust is just... Uh, an X-pipe and a dual inlet, dual outlet muffler going to dual dumps. That's the Chevy 5.3. Are you sure? I'm No, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. So that and is... That's but basically the, all I wanted. Hmm. Let's see if he'll uh, rev it for us. Caleb, loving it. Big old grin, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's... Wow. Okay, so that one does... Wait a minute. Hold on. It had the ding of a, of a relatively current model Chevy. Okay. But that note was like, like an old 350 or something. Hmm. Funny you should say that. Just because it's funny. <laughs> <'Cause> it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? You gonna you gonna share? You gonna you gonna tell me? Know your notes. Do I know my note? Probably not. 
All right, so uh, this is from Ben Shingleton. He says, uh, well, boys, it's done, as of three weeks ago. And this was uh, sent back in March. You can consult my lengthy prior email for details, but suffice to say, I don't think I beat lightning. However, it is done. It is a very small truck, and it is powered by a 5-liter vanilla ice eat your heart out Ford 302. Oh. I could not have been more wrong. He says, and it's uh, massive amounts of fun. See the attached video for the startup clip. I'm sorry. Uh, not a convenient uh, sound bite, but it's all he had at the moment. It is in a Ford Ranger. No kidding. That's a fun ride. So pretty cool. So that's a, a, a pretty uh, good engine swap. Um, so he, the previous email that he had sent us back in August of 2019 said, uh, this has been from Sevierville, Tennessee, if you remember us going okay. to Sevierville. Man, yeah, that is not a sound you expect to hear out of a Ranger. Right. He says, you may recall my joy in announcing my personal victory in purchasing a truck before Lightning. I have to be honest, though, <laughs> that my joy was slightly diminished by his under-the-breath comment regarding the $500 price tag. California pompousness? Maybe. But it was at that point I realized I should have informed you that the three-liter engine is seized and that I'll be swapping in a V8 and heavier-duty five-speed. The swap involves a 98 five-liter Explorer, also purchased for 500 bucks, which is donating its engine, and 8.8 rear end, then a M5OD R2 trans from a 99 F-150. I'm about halfway done now. So now, Lightning, I know you may be thinking this type of project is something even less appetizing to you than a $500 truck. <laughs> I didn't say that, if, but I am thinking it. <laughs> if so, I completely understand. When I told my own kid brother, well, he's 34, of my plans, he rolled his eyes so I could, so hard I could hear it over the phone. What can I say? I love engine swaps. I have three boys, and this is just the type of thing I want to be doing with them. I've included a pic of my youngest helping me out. I'll let you guys know when it's done, and you can bet that with whatever's worth in dollars. It'll be worth far more in smiles per mile, as always. Thanks for the great show, and that's our friend Ben in Sevierville. So, Ben, thank you so much for following up and uh, being a part of... Know your notes. Vroom, 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 vroom. You know, I want to give, uh, I think he deserves a... Yeah, buddy. Now give him a yeah, buddy on that. Yeah. I just, uh, I feel like uh, that wasn't our strongest showing ever for uh, <laughs> Know Your Notes. It was awful. It was awful. Awful. <laughs> we were, that was bad. Where, where's Paul Moyer when you need him? That was awful. I mean, that was, they, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was. All right, on that awful note, because you know, that's how we like to end these things. Um, on an we, awful note? Well, maybe we can... Uh, that's our dear John letter to our audience right there. <laughs> Send us a note, won't you? The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. Oh, oh. If you want to be a part of Know Your Note, either uh, leave us a message on the five-star hotline, 657-205-6105, or email us at truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. All it takes is an uh, audio clip from your phone. Uh, I think most of, most of those were audio clips that people had recorded then made as, uh, as attachments in emails, yep, right? Yep. Okay. And we love it when you send us two emails, one with the attachment and one with the answer, so that way we can both guess and uh, the person who opens the email doesn't have an unfair advantage. Yeah, but put those two emails right next to each other because otherwise Holman has to go searching for them. That's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> all all right. right. We are at... Oh, I'm going to well, say, all right, can I well, say well, it? Yeah, but I was going to give you the lead in. No, then you take it. Well, I was just going to say, uh, speaking of searching, if you want to find us on social, and then at Truck Show Podcast or at Sean P. Holman or at LBC Lightning on the gram. I'm done now. That's, that was it? That's you. Just, you're ending with on the gram. On the gram. On the gram. Hashtag on the gram? Uh-huh.
Hey, uh, I, I recently uh, passed 4,000 uh, followers on the old Instagram account. Really? Thank you, everybody. You are catching up because I am uh, topped out. You're stalled. I, I'm totally stalled at 57 and change, 5,700, yeah. and there's not a damn thing I can do to get any more. I think uh, last episode I was at like 3,990 or something like that, and I'm uh, happy to say I've... Uh, about to crest a 4,100. That's, you know what you need to do to get more followers? Uh, pay somebody in Bali at their bot farm. No. Oh. Makeup techniques. No. No, like blush and 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 rouge and, and mm, lipstick, and no. that's what you do. If that's you not do what that, I do. If you do that, oh, man, skyrocket. Not nah, beard trimming techniques. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I, I, I have the market cornered on that. It's perfect for our market. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, you want to see how I trim my beard? That sounds weird, though, right? <laughs> no, yeah. It's, yeah uh, I'd rather just guess exhaust notes off uh, vehicles. Much better. All right, well, uh, if you're in the market for a new pickup truck, you want to talk to our friends over at Nissan. Of course, they're the uh, purveyors of the most exceptional Half-ton Titan and Titan XD. Also, how much uh, how much beard hair do you think the Titan will hold? Because it's uh, all what, of it. Eleven thousand forty pounds, right? Yeah, but it's, how much beard hair? Is, I know, but it takes up a lot of space and doesn't yeah, weigh you've, much. You've seen me when I walk. It's I have a, a wake of beard hairs trailing. But I'm just me, curious if you put a bunch of out. beard hair yeah. in like those uh, hefty bags. Why wouldn't you just put them in the Titan boxes? Well, no, you uh, you could, but I'm saying how many. Hefty bags, like those 50-gallon hefty bags, right? How many of those stuffed full of beard hair could you put in the back of a Titan? I mean, that could be our next video. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have enough to fill 50 uh, bags on your- My uh, my beard, I mean, it's not- Horribly big right now. No, it's, it's not, not, but it's not great. You're, you've gotten used to it, though. I have gotten used to it. I was looking at pictures from a while back where it was a little more uh, uh, trimmed. Kept? Kempt would be a <laughs> uh, would be a proper uh, terminology. Um, yeah, I was going to hawk uh, more Nissan uh, wares in videos for them, and they said, no, please don't do that. Only do it in audio. We know what you look like. You know? <laughs> I said, yeah, but your Titan uh, yeah. makes me look good. And they, they said, they no, said nothing that, makes you look no, 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 no. Just don't do that. <laughs> they said, can you keep your uh, your beard more kempt? Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, five-year, 100,000-mile warranty on the Titan and Titan XD. They are the uh, the best warranty in the business. And the best way to haul your uh, beard hair around. And the best way to haul your beard <laughs> hair around. Head on down to your local dealer. Tell them the Truck Show podcast sent you, and I'm sure they'll look at you with funny crossed eyes and go, Who? No, they're going to say thank you, not who. Oh, yeah, true. And if you've got that project truck just sitting up on blocks in your front yard and you're upsetting the neighbors or uh, <laughs> getting those uh, mean letters from the HOA, you might want to head over to our friends at DuralastParts.com. I wonder how many of our listeners actually have vehicles on blocks. All of them. Like, no, no, they don't. 50%. Some do. More than Wranglers have manuals, do you think? Mm, probably. <laughs> so if you guys have... A truck up on blocks. We want to see pictures we, we and hear want, about we it. We want a block. And why? We, <laughs> we want to know what it is. We want to know why. photo and why. Yes. Yeah. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Or I wonder if they have internet. Maybe they just- If they're uh, listening to the show, they have internet. Not necessarily. Maybe they just have 3G on their phone or something. You That's know what I mean? internet. I guess it is internet, isn't it? <laughs> you can't listen to the Truck Show podcast and not have internet. I was going to say, you could just call us then. You know, 657-205-6105. Yeah, but we want to see your pile up on blocks. Listen, guys, there's no reason to have the HOA mad, right? 
You know, make them mad because you're painting your house pink, not because you have your project truck derelict on uh, blocks in the front yard. Head over to DuraLastParts.com. Did you know Duralast is the leading brand in the automotive aftermarket, known for its OE quality, OE grade construction, and price lower than OE. It's trusted by hundreds of thousands of professionals, and you can trust it too on your project vehicle. Duralast covers over 20 plus part categories and has an average of 98% of coverage of vehicles on the road. And surprisingly enough, uh, Lightning, they have 100% uh, coverage of vehicles on blocks in your lawn. Right. So uh, head on down to uh, your local AutoZone where you can get those parts uh, in person. Duralast parts are produced to high standards with rigorous testing to ensure OE or better performance. And they're produced by trusted leading manufacturers who utilize the highest quality materials, state-of-the-art processes, and well-designed, durable components. And if you'd like to have your truck sound like any of those exhaust notes that would... Oh, yeah. You mean like that? Yeah. Oh, so sexy. So good. If you want your exhaust to sound like that, hit up our friends at Borla, B-O-R-L-A, Borla.com, and they've got uh, T304 stainless exhausts, which means they ain't going to rust for almost every popular pickup truck, including the one that you're driving. And don't forget, they're probably made in the USA, no drone guarantee, and uh, come with a million-mile warranty, which means that even if your truck is up on blocks in your lawn, as long as the engine's running, that Borla exhaust can make it sound damn good. It's funny because the uh, exhaust may be worth more than the truck. Yeah, it depends, but we don't know the stories yet. True. Bring them on. Hey, guys, this is what we need from you. We love you. We need some more Know Your Notes, and we need stories of your project vehicles <laughs> that are up on blocks, uh, especially if they're uh, making uh, the neighbors uh, uncomfortable. And, and we're going to debut our new theme song for your project truck. We are. We are. Oh, have you been working on that? I'm not saying that I've been working on it. I'm <laughs> saying that somebody has maybe donated a new jingle to the show. Oh, I, mm-hmm. I like this. And it's, it, about, have, it's about your project truck. Not not Holman's, but you guys. Have you heard it yet? I have not. Oh. No, so this so we have no idea now. if this is going to be good or not. It could be bad. It might be like the rest of them. I uh, hope Especially the same person's involved. The, the, well, the, the, the person who's doing it is has a track record of goodness. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll find out on episode 173. Hopefully, yes. Maybe 174. They have promised me a new set of jingles, and I hope to have them in my mitts soon. All right, well, uh, do you have anything interesting that you can jingle us out of the show with? It's time to go home. It's time to say goodbye. (laughs) I had so much fun. I mean, (laughs) did you? No, I didn't. And you had so much fun. Very creative lyrics. <laughs> I mean, hey, we both had fun. Uh-huh. We all had so much fun. Oh, we did? Everyone. And now we say goodbye. 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 The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. 